You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room's MCU Retrospective Series, a 16-month look back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading into a weekend of release review of Avengers Infinity War. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Trevor. Oh, (laughs) I mean, I'm Sanjay. (laughs) And this month we'll be discussing Iron Man 3, the seventh film entry into the MCU and the first film in Marvel's Phase 2. Two of the MCU. Now, this stars Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Guy Pierce, Rebecca Hall, John Favreau, and Ben Kingsley. Gentlemen, welcome back to the MCU retrospective table. Good to be back. You excited? Back. This is the first one we've done in the new studio. It say, is. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's the first one of the new year. Yeah. Yeah, we're back to wrap up the last part of this MCU retrospective, we were driving very quickly towards Avengers Infinity War. And we've got a few films to get through before we get there, including Iron Man 3. This will be our 12th review of an MCU film to date, including this one itself, which leaves us with only six films to go. And that includes Black Panther. So we're almost there, guys. We've got a few films in between Infinity War and Avengers 4 to really wrap this thing up. But our main goal, setting out to drive into Infinity War, is going to be met. We're going to have Black Panther next month and Winter Soldier, so two huge films next month. But we got to get through Iron Man 3 first. And <laughs> coming off the back end of The Avengers, this film had a lot riding on it. It was it was the hype behind this. It was palpable. Everyone was into the MCU. Everyone had gone back and watched the films they didn't watch before Avengers. This was a phenomenon. Coming out of Avengers, Iron Man was one of those pedestal characters. Do you guys remember Iron Man 3? Do you remember the hype behind this? The hype was huge, right? Iron Man's the poster boy yeah. of this franchise. This was like, you know, like the Jacksons dropping an album, like Avengers, <laughs> and then Michael's coming out with Thriller. <laughs> I so like that analogy. Get Thriller, though. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we got, um, I don't know, Blood on the Dance Floor. Uh, yeah. That's all some good stuff. It's not even Michael. It's like Tito came out with an album. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> don't be too harsh on a quite yet. I remember uh, me and you, Tim, walking to the comic book shop. And because uh, this is 2013, this is the year Man of Steel came out. Yeah. So me and you had a little bet going on which movie would make more money. And it was like one comic book, like someone would have to buy the other person, like either a Marvel or a DC book. Unfortunately, I did not win that bet. Not even close because this thing just tore up the box office records. Oh, yeah. It's crazy to me that this is, what did you say before we were recording? The third highest grossing? Yeah, we'll get into some of the numbers, but this is the third highest both domestically and globally in the MCU when you're comparing against all the other franchise films, which is crazy. That uh, sometimes, you know, movies come out at the right time. Um, This one came out after Avengers, and I'm kind of hoping the same thing, Lightning Strikes Twice, because I took Ant-Man and the Wasp in our box office uh, derby, and that comes out, that's the first MCU film after Avengers Infinity War, so 
Lightning's got to strike twice, right? Like Ant-Man and the Wasp, 500 million domestic, right? <laughs> I don't know if you're going to quite get there. But the big thing coming out of Avengers and why this got such a huge bump, like if you look back at Iron Man 2, it had, I think, $128 million open to. So this got about a $50 million Avengers style of bump. And one thing that Marvel Studios, they had done, they had proven that this cohesive universe could work. You could bring together your heroes from the individual solo franchises into this big culmination event style film. Now, the big task was how do you break it all back down and go back to your solo franchises? Because the solo franchises are what need to support the ongoing narrative. It can't be Avengers film after Avengers film. It's just not plausible. So they're constantly breaking new ground here with the Avengers, and now they're doing something completely different again. And this was the film that had to prove that you could have an ongoing narrative that still made sense inside of this cohesive universe where you could just call up S.H.I.E.L.D., Captain America, the Hulk. Like, that was one thing going into this that people had their eyes fixated on. And we're going to get into a lot of detail here, but some of the narrative of this film in itself feels slightly isolated. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, big time. Um, I think it's actually a big lesson was learned after going forward after this movie is to kind of team up your characters more so. I mean, yeah. pretty much after this film, everybody kind of had a sprinkle of, like, another character. You know, whether it's Spider-Man, obviously Guardians, you got the ensemble, but... Civil War, obviously. Even Winter too. Soldier. Winter Soldier, yeah. Ant-Man, we see Falcon pop up, right? Yeah. Like they start sprinkling these characters in more because the Marvel world is so huge. You kind of can't help but have these other characters be featured in these films, right? Yeah, it's it's hard to to do this universe the way that they wanted to. Coming, they, they seemingly had a specific idea for what they're going to do is basically like Avengers event style and then break it back down and tell kind of like the comic books, right? Yeah. You're telling it more of an isolated story. But it doesn't work on this scale, it seems. Like with the movies, you're not getting, you know, a book every two, three weeks. It's picking up stories. But even the comic books, when you reflect back on them, you know, all of a sudden you've got Doctor Strange popping into the comic book. You've got some sort of continuity between events, Captain America, whatever, Thor. Yeah. So they didn't really grasp that concept right away here. They still wanted to tell their Iron Man franchise stories. Where when you look at the MCU and the way that they've taught us to watch these things, it's no longer about a trilogy. It's about the sequence of films and how they build from one to the other. This isn't really a sequel to Iron Man 2. It's a sequel to the Avengers. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point. I mean, looking at Captain America as another example, you know, you can't watch Captain America 1, 2, and 3 the narrative wouldn't flow and it wouldn't make sense. Not at all, especially with Civil War. Yeah, yeah. You'd be like, why? Like, what's going on? What's all this? What's all this jazz about? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, you talk about trilogies. Uh, you think it does probably be like Avengers, Iron Man, and then like Iron Man three, and then like Thor two. Like, you know, the trilogies aren't just the name only. Like, they may be Iron Man three, but as you said, yeah, it's definitely not. Definitely doesn't really connect to Iron Man two that much no it's, it seems to be about the focus of the storytelling is on iron man you go to winter soldier it's about captain america even civil war is a very captain america centric film yeah. that has everyone else in it so the films the overall story arcs have a focal point in that character but they need to contain and reference the rest of the universe which this film does to a degree like you look at the ptsd that we're going to discuss about tony stark if you watched iron man one two three you'd have no idea why he's freaking out, mm -hmm. why he has different armor, right. why is the Iron Patriot there? You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't get that that continuum of storytelling within the trilogy anymore. And it's they do try, I think, a little hard to make the trilogy kind of to cap off the Iron Man story in this. Yeah. And they seem to be trying to cap off the trilogy style of film watching. 
And like we said, that just doesn't exist in this comic book universe anymore, no. in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. It just doesn't work. Yeah, like how could you end the trilogy and end the story of Tony Stark? Because you need him back for Avengers 2 because he's one of the big ticket draws that brings in all the fans and puts butts in the seat. Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. And, you know, if at the end of this film, if he were to kick the bucket, you know, that'd be a huge money loss. And I don't think they would ever they would ever go down that road. I don't think for any of their superheroes, um, frankly, I, you know, maybe contract disputes, but in terms of storytelling, you can't get rid of Thor, Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man. You just can't. Well, it almost happened with this film. Yeah. And like, you look at how this film's structured, there's a lot of finality to it. Like, it seems like we're coming to a an end to this character because at this point, after Avengers and Iron Man 3, Downey had four films on his contract before he opted to a thousand. Like, <laughs> like before like before he was the Robert Downey Jr. that is Tony Stark. Like he's always been that character, but now he's embraced it himself. Yeah. And this film ends with a, almost a, a bit of ambiguity, a, a bit of a question mark. You don't know if we're going to see Tony Stark again. Of course we do in every other Marvel movie now. Yeah. And we need that continuity of character. But this film almost ended the character i would think at least not so much in a death way but almost in a, in a narrative way like this is how tony stark ends he's going to go off and do something different now we're not going to see him for a while but it really does kind of push on that envelope of we don't know what we're going to do next in this universe with this character and that's still a lingering problem like as we go into infinity war avengers 4 you're going to see probably a lot more stories told like this with this more ambiguous ending or maybe a more definitive ending to these characters as their contracts come up and finish out this 22 film narrative. Like it's got to come to an end somewhere, but luckily it wasn't at Iron Man 3. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, going back then, we're, we're probably a little more scared at that time if we were to lose the character because we didn't have Doctor Strange or Spider-Man. Yeah. We didn't know what Guardians was really going to be like, so we're mm -hmm. kind of worried about the big three. You know, like if these guys leave the franchise, what kind of hands are we going to be in? Whereas now I think, you know, going into Infinity where we're kind of excited, we're kind of hoping some of these characters are going to die because we're excited with what the characters we have now, especially X-Men characters possibly. So we're kind of like, if Iron Man or Cap or Thor bites it, that's okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. We've seemingly yeah. gotten enough good films and they've had their story told for the most part. Yeah. You've seen their ups and downs. You've seen them go through big character evolutions. And even into this film, you do see again, another step for Tony. And I think that overall, yeah, this wouldn't have been a fitting end, but Infinity War Avengers 4 may be a fitting end for yes. Tony Stark. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. How many months is it away? Four? Just a couple. Yeah, I think Just we're a like couple. 92 days. <laughs> yeah, less yeah, than 100 days. days yeah. So, yeah. So, speaking about how different this film is, this film, for the first time, has a different director. This, this franchise, this isolated franchise, in Shane Black. Now, Iron Man 1 and 2 was directed by Jon Favreau. And he decided to not come back. He had some issues in Iron Man 2 with studio interference. And he kind of just wanted to step back. He was a producer on Avengers. I believe he was a producer on this or an executive producer. And he kind of went back and just sat in the Happy Hogan role, which we've seen him pick up again. I'm happy to see him back in this film. And I guess he was also helping Shane Black direct here. But Shane Black. Interesting choice. He comes in via Robert Downey Jr., a recommendation from him. They did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang together in 2005. It's a great film. Yeah, so they're very familiar with each other, and they really brought him in, again, the same way they're bringing in other directors, to tell a slightly different story. And you can really see that in this film. And you go back and look at some of the old things from Kevin Feige, from Shane Black, it was very apparent that they wanted to tell a Tony Stark story. 
not so much an Iron Man story. Yeah. They've done that for two to three films. They wanted to do something different. So that's why Shane Black was brought in. You look at this guy's filmography, and you know, he hadn't done a ton of things, but he did Lethal Weapon, Predator, so a lot of stuff in the late 80s. Oh, that's pretty cool. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you know, and then you go into Iron Man 3. So he's got a little bit of that ability to develop a character, but he's never really sat in this comic book world for the most part. And I think bringing him in was an interesting choice. It kept Downey happy, obviously. And it gave the character a slightly different spin. And now we're going to get into (laughs) if that spin was successful or not. (laughs) But I think it was at least the foresight to do something a little different was good. That's what we want to see out of these characters, a constant evolution. And so this is the first time, too, that another director is coming in and picking up the threads of a character that's already had two different directors have their shot at them. So they've had different writers, different directors. So it's not uncommon within trilogies to see this, but you also don't have the ability to kind of swing the character how you want. There seems to be at least some boundaries already set up here that Shane Black had to work in. What are you guys' thoughts on Shane Black kind of coming into this and picking up where Joss Whedon and John Favreau left off? Well, it's funny you bring this up. I think it was uh, yesterday we mentioned, you know... um... When we're talking about this film, I, I mentioned it's kind of a, a diehard feel. And not knowing at the time, you know, you just said it now, Shane Black did Lethal Weapon. So it's kind of funny that that flavor is in there because <laughs> that's what I picked up on. But yeah, you know, it, it's good that they uh, switched up directors. I mean, in some cases it works. Like look at Taika Waititi with uh, Ragnarok. Like, mm-hmm. That worked well. Um, Winter Soldier when he switched up with the Russo brothers and then going forward with Civil War. So, hey, sometimes it works and sometimes not so much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm not too too familiar with Shane Black's uh, filmography as, uh, that much. But um, there's some glimmer. There's some, there are some good things in this film. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Like, there's a lot uh, that I liked in this film, surprisingly. Um, yeah. There's a lot that I didn't like in this film. <laughs> um but yeah, Shane Black, he definitely brings that flavor. One thing, um, he always sets his movies around Christmas for some All reason. Yeah. So this taking place around Christmas makes sense, which is kind of weird because it came out in the summer and I was like, what? Yeah, it was kind of a weird twist on things in like summer in California, doesn't, yeah. does the snow. I guess you're up in Tennessee, you get that snow and all that. But yeah, something a little different, a little hint of Shane Black there. A little Shane Black humor when uh, Iron Man talks about his uh, Christmas present to Pepper Potts. Which one's that? The yeah. rabbit? The rabbit, yeah. You Sex and City fans. No. <laughs> Don't get it. It's been a while Sing since I watched that franchise. Over my head. <laughs> well, you bring up an interesting point here, actually, Sanjay. Not so much about the rabbit, but the, the reception, not liking and liking something about this film. Now, the initial reception of this film was obviously quite warm. Everyone seemed to like it. They Everyone went out in droves. But this has a lingering kind of reputation of being one of the, if not the weakest, MCU film. You got Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World, which we've already reviewed. Those were the two out of the gate, out of Phase 2. You know, you had Avengers. You got these two films. And it wasn't really until The Winter Soldier that you saw this MCU really starting to ramp up the quality. They yeah. seem to hit a bit of a lull here. At least that's the reputation that is held by these last two movies, that this one that we're reviewing and the last one that we reviewed. But when you look at the box office, that doesn't reflect this at all. No, Well, again, like you mentioned, going off Avengers, right? So yeah. everybody just flew in mm-hmm. to see more of this franchise, this yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, this opened to $174 million. <laughs> that's insane. In 2013. That's insane. You know, and for context... Avengers opened to 207, Age of Ultron 191, and Civil War to 179. 
Sephora just edges it out, which is crazy. Fourth highest opening for an MCU film. Now you look at it in comparison to some of the other Avengers film, which we've already alluded to, it is still the third highest grossing out of all of them. It it blows my mind to this movie. Now it only outgrossed it by a million dollars, but it outgrosses Captain America Civil War. Well, that's the problem there is their marketing should have called it Avengers 3. Like, that was an Avengers film, and just the name alone, Avengers, would have drove people in to see it. I mean, I know it still did $408 million, but it could have done $500 million just by changing the title, I think. Yeah, I see. I think that year was tough, too, because we had BVS that yeah. year. So that, woo, that woo. Would... <laughs> Always <laughs> talking it, about it. Everyone was worn out. There's a big battle between the two, right? I'm still think, worn out. Um, I think BVS had their initial spot, and then Civil War moved there, or maybe Civil War had their spot in BVS. Tried taking it, but then one of them backed off. Yeah, BBS Batman vs. Batman vs. Yeah. Superman moved up, right? Like they were, it was really weird. Like there's yeah. a lot of behind the scenes. You can make a whole documentary. Of so that the did take place before Civil War, right? Yeah, that exactly. came out in March. So, so some people could have saw that movie and they're like, uh, I'm kind of checking out the superhero world. And yeah, not showed up to Civil War. Maybe it was all saying. a ploy by DC and Warner Brothers just to like hurt Civil War's Maybe. box office. That makes yeah. I don't know. That, that was the year when everyone was saying superhero fatigue, 2016. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, big crossover films, yes. you yeah. know. But 2013, like, we'd really had nothing. No. Like, it was Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. It was Thor of the Dark World in November of that year. Yeah, Man of Steel. Man of Steel. Steel. Yeah. And uh, The Wolverine. Yeah. Those so were the only four. So when you look at that in comparison to what we're getting today, yeah. you know, we're getting six, seven, eight high-quality films. You look 2017. What do we have? Seven high-quality films yeah. In, the, yeah. in the superhero or comic book movie genre. Yeah. Which is nuts, yeah. and you look back at 2013, which isn't that long ago, you know, only five years ago, and the landscape was immensely different. But even if you look at some of the speaking about landscape, you look at some of the numbers here. So domestically, Iron Man three did 409 million, internationally 805 million, so doubling its domestic gross internationally for a total toll of about 1.2 billion dollars. Now again, to contextualize that. Avengers only did 895 internationally. So Iron Man 3 just did just under 100 million less. And Civil War, 745 internationally. So Iron Man 3 outgrossed it both domestically and internationally. Damn. Which is, I, I, it still blows my mind, those numbers, because it's, it's definitely getting that bump from Avengers and the hype behind yeah. what the MCU is and what's. But... The fact that, like, we're going to keep coming back to this, the idea that Civil War didn't outgross it. Yeah. And it shows just how powerful the Avengers was for the follow-up, the direct follow-up to it. People thought, I'm assuming people thought they were going to get, essentially, Avengers 1.2 type thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't going to be, like, a solo Iron Man film. Do you guys think um, that us comic book fans who know the characters more than the average fan or the average moviegoer, we cared more about the twist about the main villain than Joe moviegoer who doesn't oh, know who the Mandarin is. 100%. Like, do you think if you walked into this film and you didn't know who the Mandarin is and he's like the Joker, you know, he's like Iron Man's Joker mm-hmm. pretty much. He's like his biggest bad. Yep. If you didn't know that, you would just be like, oh, okay, that's like an interesting twist yep. and just move on. You know, whereas us comic book guys, we see that and we go, oh. oh. Well, especially when you go to the trailers, they were pretty much promising we're getting, you know, answers to the Ten Rings from Iron Man 1. We're getting Mandarin. We're getting Ben Kingsley playing the Mandarin. Like, come on. Like, what more could you ask for? And there was a twist in this film. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, that, that's I, where a lot of the backlash man, comes that's from. That's where the backlash yeah. comes from. It, most of it, at It's least. more like retrospective backlash, because yeah. as we go through this, it's it's not a bad movie. Like it, no, it, it really shifts the focus to Tony Stark, like we said. Yeah. But it was the the way they marketed it that really drove people to give this somewhat of a dislike. Now, like on Rotten Tomatoes, it's still 80% fresh. Yeah. Audience score is 78%. You know, it's better than Iron Man 2, and it's, you know, about 10 percentage points below Civil War. So it's not like it's got like a 50 or 27% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it is that. It's the deviation from the source material that people have issues with. And it's, like I said, the way they marketed it. Like my wife, I talked to her about this. The only thing she remembers about this film is you'll never see me coming. (laughs) I love that though. It was so good. I love that. And and the lens that they used on that scene. I was like, whoa, this is... Pretty creepy, right? Yeah, oh, like, totally. Like, you remember, too, the stories going into this was, like, this is Ben Kingsley playing the Mandarin. People yeah. were standing up and clapping at yeah. certain scenes. Yeah. And I'm getting the extremist storyline, yeah. finally. Yeah, You know, yeah. which we didn't really get properly, because, you know, in the comics, it, the extremist suit kind of worked more like a symbiote, whereas yeah. this was more like the suits coming at him, yeah. which was a little different. So we kind of got, were promised two storylines that we didn't really get you know, in this film, for the hardcore, like, nerds that know Iron Man, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a bit different, because, again, deviated from that. It was a yeah. bit of the extremist to the point of the soldiers themselves. Yeah, but like it's Maya never, shows up. Yeah, sure. Maya Hansen briefly, and yeah. you get, uh, um, I keep wanting to say Aldrich Einreich, yeah. Aldrich <laughs> Killian <laughs> does show up here briefly, too, and you get the idea and the concept behind, kind of, the, you know, manipulating of the DNA and the yeah. fire-breathing thing, that's all part of the comic book storyline, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really ever affect Tony Stark. No. In, in this film. You don't really ever get like an extremist suit. Yes. So it is adapting more on the villain side of things, that kind of thread. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is, we'd recommend when we talked last week about, you know, origin stories, this is Warren Ellis's extremist story arc. This is from Iron Man Volume 4, 2005, 2006. Basically, we've ended the character back in like the yeah. modern age. Yeah. Well, that's the one that brought him up to, you know, removing the Vietnam War and put him into the Afghani War, right? Yeah. That mm. was the one that modernized Iron Man. So yeah. going back to this book, is kind of fundamental for comic book readers as it relates to Iron Man. It kind of updated everything and yep. brought them to the world that we now closely associate with Iron Man because of Iron Man 1. Yeah, because you go back to that run, uh, Iron Man 1, that suit design is the extremist suit, basically. Yeah. Or at least the pre-suit he uses in that run before he gets the extremist armor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and this this comic book has so much influence on this film that actually President Ellis yeah. is named after Warren Ellis, the writer of the Extremist storyline. Right, oh. so it's kind of a nice nod to how important this, or at least the partial adaptation that they do with this, and taking kind of certain elements, certain characters from this storyline and putting them into this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that we always like to step back and look at too is the MCU timeline before we get into the guts of the film here, and. This one, yes, yeah, sequentially it comes out after Avengers. We know it happens, you know, a couple months after. We've got Tony Stark with the PTSD, references to the event itself. I, I mentioned this before. It seems like more of an isolated narrative than you'd probably want out of kind of this concurrent, ongoing MCU universe. And I want to kind of talk this through a little bit because I've in my head, my head canon here, <laughs> I've seemingly worked out a way to make this film fit better contextually into, or at least I think so, into the MCU rather than watching it. And it's more about the order, but rather than watching it in kind of the order it came out, it's kind of swapping things around here because the big thing that happens here is they're trying to spin out into solo universe, but also still trying to reference the bigger universe at hand. It's no longer this kind of forward-looking progressive narrative it's a bit of both like you have to look backwards to events but you also have to look forward into kind of what's coming down into the future and so they're switching things up here you're kind of pivoting back and forth between 
referencing backwards and referencing forwards. So the big thing that people had questions on, okay, where was Thor during the events of Iron Man 3? So mm-hmm. he's clearly off fighting in Asgard, the Nine Realms, right? We saw this in Thor the Dark World. Captain America. All right, we're going to assume that he's off with shields somewhere, correct? I guess, I'd say so. I guess yeah, the president yeah. Ellis sent him somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's kind of strange. The president's in danger. Captain yeah. America's MIA. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I, I got I get all sorts of... <laughs> I got stuff here. The Hulk, I'm assuming he's off avoiding fighting. Uh, or he's sitting there listening to Tony Stark talk about this story. <laughs> Maybe you should have called me. Now, Hawkeye, Black Widow, you can assume they're off with S.H.I.E.L.D. doing their own thing. Yeah. And then S.H.I.E.L.D., that was the big one, right? That was like, why didn't he just pick up the phone? There's very minimal references to S.H.I.E.L.D. When you look back at Iron Man 1 and 2, there's quite heavy references and even inclusion of Phil Coulson, yeah. Nick Fury. Um, Maria Rob, Hill? Maria Hill yeah. was, no, she wasn't in Iron Man movies. But oh, she okay. was in uh, Black Widow was also Natasha Romanoff. Yeah. So there's a lot of references to S.H.I.E.L.D. in the previous Iron Man films. And this is the first one with Iron Man in it, actually, Tony Stark, that Nick Fury actually doesn't appear in the film either. Right. So you look at Iron Man 1, 2, and also the Avengers, right? You have Nick Fury strung through all that. So mm-hmm. you've lost some of those almost connective threads or those tissues that tied it to the greater universe. You've pulled a lot of them away here. And all I'm going to say about S.H.I.E.L.D. is what goes on in Winter Soldier. So we're going to do a little bit of digging here for S.H.I.E.L.D. Cool. We're going to dig into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So as we go into the first couple seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the extremists kind of whatever it is, the, the, the serum, whatever yeah, you want to call it. The human torch serum. Yes, the human <laughs> torch serum. So that pops back up in a few episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, what they're doing, it's a super soldier serum, essentially, right? Yeah. And so what they're doing here, they combine it with that and gamma radiation, and they're trying to create a super soldier serum. Now, there's this this kind of offshoot organization and it's that are kind of using it, and it's called the Centipede Project. Now, it's later revealed after the events of winter soldier that the centipede project is actually funded by hydra oh okay and which would probably eventually reveal that the extremist in aim which is an offshoot of hydra in the comic books is likely funded by hydra so my conclusion as to why shield isn't really referenced in here that much or aren't maybe doesn't excuse tony for not calling him but why (laughs) they don't show up is because you look at what happens in the events of winter soldier and the compromised shield my guess here, and my headcanon, is that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been directed away from all right. of this. Because of compromise, right? Because of compromise. Uh. So if you look at fixing the watching order to maybe make the narrative flow a little bit better out of Avengers. So we start with Avengers number one. Now, if we swap Iron Man and Thor 2, so you go straight from Avengers into seeing what Thor's doing in Asgard. Oh, okay. He's running around the Nine Realms trying to fix things after bringing Loki back to Asgard. Makes so you sense. get that that kind of continuity there, right? The last one of the last things you see here is Thor and Loki shooting off into space in yeah. Avengers, right? And then you have Iron Man three. So you solve the problem of where is Thor? We know where Thor is. He's off doing his thing, right? Then you do Iron Man three, and then you immediately follow that up with Winter Soldier. Yeah. And then so now you have Iron Man three. You're asking yourself these questions. You know, where's Captain America? Where's Shield? Oh, here's Winter Soldier. They're compromised. This is likely why. We didn't see them coming into the fold here for Iron Man 3. Right. And then okay. you follow that up with Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, then Guardians of the Galaxy because oh. it's kind of a bit on its own. So I'm trying to fix the flow here right. to allow you to address the questions that you have 
One being where's Thor? Okay, we know where he is. Two, where's Captain America and where's Shield? Mm-hmm. It leaves a bit of a question mark on Hulk, but that one I can I can make up a bit more headcanon. Okay, he stepped away from fighting or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Try not to Hulk out. So in my head, I think this works better because it answers the questions that you're asking coming into the film, also going out of the film. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Does that does that work for you guys? That that works. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, yeah. I can I can use that. It's basically like the comics. You just have like these meanwhile boxes all over the place. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> Thor is battling and Captain America is running around some sort of boat. They should yeah. almost have those like a two minute like brief. Or like Marvel always has those in the yeah. comics. Like yeah. what happened previously. Um, they should do that in front of the movies, like two minutes, like just like, oh, previously on Iron Man. Mm-hmm. They try to do sometimes, they try to do within the credits and all that. Like I they try to catch you up. Yeah, I can't but. remember what movie did it. There was a superhero movie a while back that tried to, you know what, maybe it's, Ang- yeah, it was Ang Lee's Hulk. We got like those comic panels. Oh, shots. I'm pretty sure yeah. Hulk. You get those weird comic panels. You get it in The Incredible Hulk too, right? They do his whole was origin. It Incredible Hulk? Maybe he it's did, Incredible Hulk. Yeah, he does the whole origin story within the opening credits. Yeah, like it's a splash like, page or something. Yeah, sort. it's like spot, and you see him like doing the experiment, and yeah. exploding. Yeah. You never really get a, your eye on anything, but That's right. it kind of takes you all through that. Just because you're running the assumption that most people know the backstory of the Hulk because yeah. of Angley's Hulk and yes. all that too, but. Such a great movie, Angley's Hulk. Yeah, I love them Hulk dogs. Oh, yeah, the poodles. <laughs> Always back to the poodles. Nothing yeah. screams terror like watching Hulk fight poodles. Yeah. Hulk versus the Weatherman. And he looks like MS Paint. Like he's so green. Well, that, yeah. was, that was our name, MS Paint Hulk. <laughs> we gotta do a, We gotta do a review of Angley's Hulk. Maybe someday down the road. <laughs> Anyways, prelude tie-in. So as we kind of bang out through this timeline here. And before we get into the film, just briefly got to talk about prelude comics here. So there are two tie-in comics here for Iron Man 3. And these are, you're starting to get towards the end of the relevant tie-in comics. I'm going to say relevant in kind of air quotes here because it doesn't really do a whole lot for the story. But as we get into them now, they're just retelling the films in comic book panels, which is kind of a bit of a piss off. But anyways, (laughs) the two prelude comics really kind of go from Iron Man 2 into Avengers, then out the back end of Avengers. And it really is focused more or less around Rhodey and where he was during Avengers. So it kind of answers that question. Why wasn't Rhodey at the Battle of New York? Well, it turns out he was halfway across the globe and Tony Stark was talking to him, saying, you know, can he get back here? And by the time he actually gets back, Rhodey himself, <laughs> he shows up and they're in the shawarma shop. Okay. okay. <laughs> so it's, it's a fun little prelude comic. Like I said, it doesn't add really much to Iron Man 3, but it kind of brings you up to speed on where Rhodey's been because he kind of pops into this film almost seemingly out of nowhere. Right. He just kind of shows up. Oh, don't you remember about New York and all that? <laughs> but I, I think it's it's kind of a nice tie. I kind of, I try to, to get in front of, you know, where's where's Rhodey been? Kind of that big question mark there. So. Is he still rocking the War Machine outfit in that comic? Yeah, so Stark in the first one gives him an upgrade. So he takes okay. out all the hammer tech and all that right. and gives him kind of the upgrade to which I think is what is eventually painted as the Iron Patriot. Were you guys excited when you first saw the you know the set photos of Iron Patriot? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Remember fantastic. It was, it was the when he's going onto the plane scene, and they had him under like it was the red carpet. Yeah, yeah, and they had him under umbrellas and all this, trying to protect it. And we're like, whoa, what's happening? Yeah. Like, is Norman Osborn in this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I'm like, how are they going to pull this off? They don't have the rights. Um, yeah, no, I thought that was pretty cool. The armor. The only thing I disliked is when you look at his chest piece. They literally just painted a star over it instead of it being like sculpted. Like I always thought the star should be yeah. sculpted in as opposed to just painted oh, over. For sure, yeah. But either than that, no, I think they did a good job. And that suit made its way into the movies pretty fast. Yeah. If you look at the um what was it? Uh Dark Avengers run? Yeah. I think when Norman took over. 
Yeah, no. it was right Dark after Rain? Uh, Secret Invasion. Yes. Yeah, yes, Dark Rain. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he was the leader, right, of yeah. Hammer. Yeah, Hammer, yeah. It came yeah. out, rolled out a shield and all that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Man. Yeah. Well, and there was, there's like comic book links there too, right? Because, yeah. you know, Tony Stark was the head of shield at that point yeah. and all collapsed down. So there was some connection between the two of them, but didn't really get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of a bit of a throwaway, but. Yeah. Anyways, I think it's time for us to jump into this film. So, from this point forward, of course, spoilers, <laughs> we've already spoiled a whole bunch of things, <laughs> including the two or three big twists in this film anyways, but if you've made it this far, I guess caution spoilers. <laughs> so, overall, this film opens to a Tony Stark monologue. Now, clearly, he's talking at this point to Bruce Banner, and this is kind of what we get in the end credits scene anyways, but he does say, a famous man once said, we create our own demons. Now, this seems to be a theme that is strung through a good chunk of of this film about creating your own demons and how to deal with them. And it really gives a reference to what's going to happen is as you create your own demons and then we see all of the previous suits that we're familiar with exploding here. And then all the way rewinds back to 1999 in Bern, Switzerland. Oh, I love that song. The blue. Yeah. Blue yeah. Mangrove. Yeah. Yeah. Eiffel 65. Yeah. So listen up. Do, 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 do. Yo, such a good song. Yeah. <laughs> Very That's exactly Eric's <laughs> Exactly how I felt through all this film. Really. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> the so, gloves are off here. <laughs> here Normally, you know, it's like me and Tim going at it for the. This time, Troy stepping uh, in on the ring, and I'm going to be the referee trying to like, keep these two at bay. Oh, and man. I guess I'm a bit of the apologist. But the problem is, and before we get into this, like I put on these goggles when I go back, and I don't really, I watch the movies, but I think I analyze every single piece of what's said. Whether it's intentional or not, I seem to draw conclusions and tie threads again, whether they're actually meant to be there or not. Like I see a lot deeper into these films when I put on the retrospective goggles. It's just a bit weird. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how much holds up here. I, I get just, it. I'm a fan of the DCEU. I get it. <laughs> the goggles go on. This is the best thing ever. Do you see the Joker? It said damaged on his forehead. That's so metal. <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted in my Joker. <laughs> it's the same comment I have about my Mandarin, right? <laughs> All right. Well, it kicks off here, like I said, 1999. And this goes back. The nice thing I like about this scene is it kind of sets everything up while also referencing back to Iron Man 1 because you get Yinsen in here. Love that callback. Yeah, it's such a great callback. And like you, when we watched Iron Man 1, he says to Tony Stark, I met you at a conference in Bern, Switzerland. Yep. You're too incoherent to give this speech, but you gave it anyways. And then that comes right back into this. It's awesome. I love it's, it. It's great. That attention to detail. I love that. Yeah. It just goes to add more like how asshole Tony Stark really was back then. Mm -hmm. right? He's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking about being a dick, he again creates his own demons here in two or three different ways. So the whole first part of this kind of 1999 New Year's Eve thing with, I love Happy Hogan with the mullet too. That's amazing. <laughs> so amazing. But it introduces Maya Hansen, which for the most part is more or less a toss away role. Yes. You could have really eliminated her and just had Aldrich Einreich, or Einreich, jeez, <laughs> Aldrich Killian, yeah. thinking about Solo too much here, <laughs> create the extremists. Like, she did in the 
comic books, yeah. which is a nice tie yeah. to the source material. But to me, the only the only part about Maya Hansen that is funny or even remotely relevant is the joke when she shows up at the Stark Mansion and he's like, please tell me there's not a 12-year-old kid sitting in the car. And she oh, says, yeah. no, he's 13. I yeah. love that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, but that's the only good thing about the yeah. character. Like, she doesn't do anything. She has this unceremonious death that she just gets shot in the head, yeah. right? Like, she has no consequence on the film other than really bringing Pepper up to speed. But then she turns on her. Like, it's the character's a bit jumbled. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. It only serves really the purpose of tying Tony a bit closer in some way to the development of the extremist because he does kind of give her that card and all that, right? Yeah. Which helps her along that path. Yeah, yeah. She's definitely a throwaway in this movie. I mean, she she basically gives like the whole betrayal. You know, you don't see that coming and then she betrays him. And mm-hmm. I think in the comic too, she betrayed him as well. Yeah, I, I can't think, remember. I think of some sort. Yeah, I think she was, she betrayed him too. So it's kind of like they, they threw that in there to maybe please the nerds. I don't really know. But she, for the most part, she's a throwaway. You really could have had um, Guy Pierce's character be basically the, the Victor Von Doom to Reed Richards. Yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. and, and be done with it. Yeah. But, but, yeah. I, but I heard um, she was actually supposed to be the main villain. You are right. In early oh, draft, yeah. she was. Okay. But I don't know who said it, um, but someone said... I read this too. Uh, women don't... You can't make action figures of women. Apparently it was... Now, the quote I read was from a Marvel executive. Right. We so don't know worried who, about merchandising. Yeah. They said, I don't know like why they thought Aldrich Killian would be like this great merchandising because I've never seen anyone buy an Aldrich Killian toy. I don't even uh, think they made them. I, I doubt it. But yeah. yeah, they said women don't sell action figures. So that's uh, why she was cut. That's brutal. But you can yeah. see like the lingering threads of that character. Yeah. Like there, there's something there, and the fact that Aldrich's killing is tied to Tony Stark also in this scene, in just a spiteful way. Like mm-hmm. Tony Stark kind of wronged him. Yeah. And that led him down this path to eventually creating a terrorist and all this. Yeah. It, it kind of puts a big question mark for me on the main villain and his motivations. Like it should have been enough that. Aldrich Killian turned... I'm going to just call him Killian from now. <laughs> yeah. The Killian turned from, like, this horrible-looking dude... Yeah. ...into, like, whatever he is now. Yeah. Rich, has a company, he's got all this resources, you know, he's got aim, all this. Yeah. Like, that should have been enough, and it should have been more of, like, a, a rivalry thing. Like, exactly. it should have been mm-hmm. because he has these military contracts, which they really don't focus in on enough, that he's really filled that role that Hammer was filling, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, they should have played more of that and had them being either competitors on some level whether it's kind of this inventor or futurist they're kind of because he rolls out those balls too at one point it's like that's a tony stark thing for Mm -hmm. sure it should have been more of that and less of like this spiteful man trying to get back at tony stark in some way shape or fashion i just the characters just combine the two of them in some way have a deeper connection to killian from tony and remove all this maya hansen stuff yeah like i just don't fully get that there yeah, she, hearing about the the female uh, villain, I really wish they pursued that now. Yeah, yeah, it would have been another another pathway to go down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. changing up everything about Tony Stark in this film. Yeah, we've yeah. had kind of like his doppelganger mentor type thing in Iron Man One, mm-hmm. and then again a very similar type of villain born out of the same technology again in Iron Man Two. Yep, and now let's do something different. It's a completely different technology, different stream. Do something different with a female villain like that would have been really cool oh yeah would have been great like we've really yet to see until we get to thor ragnarok this year Mm -hmm. a really powerful like five years later a really powerful woman villain yeah 
And that would have been something completely different. Like you're coming off the back end of Avengers. How can we do things different? How can we make this film stand out? A female villain yeah. that isn't... And I think too, like whether that this is just the air of, of the world now or whatever, but like the fact that he's connected to Maya Hansen simply because they had sex. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I just don't like that. It needs to be a deeper rooted connection in the villain here. Yeah. Cause I think even in the comics, they actually had like a proper relationship yeah. beforehand. Right. It's more than just, you know, a random yeah. pickup. Yeah. yeah. And like, more, yeah, he, there is some air of like respect for her. Yeah. Like he remembers her name and like, but to me, it is trying to show and prove a point about Tony Stark. But it's also trying to seed a whole bunch of things for later on that never really come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, going back to Killian, seems so like arbitrary that just because Tony stood him up at that one party, he completely turns evil and like tries to take over the world and like makes his terrorist. I was like, that's your motivation because he stood you up on a New Year's party. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like you, it just didn't make any sense to me. Like you could have done so much more things that. He was just like an average like dude who had like uh you know who bad was haircut. Bad haircut, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, like very Riddler like at first there. Like Jim Carrey's yes. Riddler yeah. you know, in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, it was very like uh like playing up for comedic effect. Mm -hmm. And then like he does all this and he turns like super good looking and you're just like, Whoa, like why wouldn't you just live your life normally? Like why would you create a terrorist and like go through all this trouble when you could like literally live like a billionaire, like I just don't get it. Like the, the motivations were just weird. Eh? Very weak motivations, yeah. in my well, opinion. That that's the hardest part, I think, about this villain is the motivations. You're meant to think that it's spite, yeah. right? That he's getting back at Tony Stark at all this. But there seems to be there's a grander plan in there with the vice president mm -hmm. and like propping him up to being some sort of like puppet leader, and then Aim having these military contracts, him getting all this power. But it's never really focused on. It's two throwaway scenes. That you get this idea, oh, the VP is in on this now. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. That was really weird. Like, yeah. so they didn't connect yeah. any of those motivations up. And so you run the whole film thinking that he's just doing this to get back at Tony. Yeah. Which doesn't work. Like, a spiteful villain isn't a villain that, like, you need someone that thinks they're right. You need a villain that yes. thinks they're doing the right thing, but it's actually the evil thing. And those are the best villains. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. like, you, you get some of that in kind of the reflection of the Mandarin, right? Mm -hmm. That he's doing this to cleanse the, the American infidel or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of that is Killian's motivation, but it's really just to cover up what he's doing. Exactly. Like mm -hmm. it has nothing more to do with him having a greater, like, Oh, the world needs to be a better place and I can make it a better place with extremists, but I need the Mandarin to be kind of cleansing out Iron Man and all this. Yeah. Like that's never laid down. There's no foundation and no great motivation to this character. And I, that's the hardest part about this because I think the Tony Stark stuff in here as we'll get into it, is pretty good. But it's like the foundation of the villain just isn't there. It's a problem in the Iron Man series is he never has a villain, never has anyone that can go really toe-to-toe -to -toe with Robert Downey Jr. in an acting role. Now, what's his name? Um, Sam Rockwell yeah. did a pretty good job, mm -hmm. but he wasn't the kind of battling villain here. I, I still give it to uh, the first... How, how oh, he's name? good. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, Jeff, Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. I think yeah. he, was he is great. Good. He was You're great. Right. Um, it's just the ending. Like the it's fight. Just the ending. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would say actually the best motivation to get back at Tony Stark is actually in Spider-Man Homecoming with the Vulture. Yeah. He, he has these contracts. Yeah. You know, he's trying to do his career and live his life. And then Tony Stark comes in and 
takes everything away from him yeah. and he's just trying to survive yeah he takes profit off of his own damages yeah right. exactly yeah. and yeah. i would be mad too oh, yeah. if i was the vulture watching that i was like yeah and it's funny that in a spider-man movie we have the best like iron man villain and one of the best mcu villains yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. highly King. motivated yeah and relatable i mean yeah exactly yeah. like the cool suit man, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. This, that's what this villain could have been and it should have been my head <laughs> or some version of her and killian combined definitely <laughs> <laughs> anyways as we get out of out of this kind of 1999 flashback we go directly back to the workshop now i love being in tony stark's oh, workshop yeah. this is a lot of fun here this is when you get really an indication that it's a christmas movie and you get this indication that tony has been quite busy he's up to mark 42 now for reference when we left avengers he was using mark six and seven wow <laughs> so he's <laughs> he's been quite busy and we see this later on we get you know, reference or at least this idea when the door is closing that there's something bigger going on. But Mark 42, what do you guys think about this autonomous suit that he has that kind of flies to him? He's putting the kind of the micro sensors in his arms. What are your thoughts overall on this suit? Um, yeah, to begin with, uh, when I first initially saw the suit, I didn't like it on a, on a couple of reasons. Um, one, again, we were, we were promised we were going to get more of like the extreme extremist line and yeah. it was nothing like the costume from the comic it wasn't sleek it was kind of yellowy kind of, too. Yeah, there's a lot of yellow on there i didn't really care Cream. too much for the yellow um <laughs> so i didn't i didn't really like the the costumes it's actually probably one of my least favorite iron man uh costumes i'd say in the in mcu yeah to be honest it's not too memorable for me so yeah. i don't really know um it's been a uh, yeah it's just it's just there like i didn't notice anything that drastically different yeah. um it was just kind of there it's weak too yeah, it broke well, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it broke when a truck hit it. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about that a bit. I had this a little later on, but I kind of want to get into the suit because, mm. you know, the idea of the suit coming to him and all that is really cool. And they mm. really use it in effective ways later on when he's saving Pepper Potts and when it comes to him when he's kind of handcuffed up there and all that. But it has the tendency to play the bumbling friend. Mm -hmm. It's It's there for comic relief. And that comic relief undercuts... A good amount, three times actually, it undercuts very dramatic moments in yeah. the film. And using the suit to be a relief, that should be Happy Hogan. Yeah. That should yeah. be maybe another character, I don't know, Rhodey a bit. And their interplay, their chemistry should be the comic relief. You get a bit of that when they're in the port where he's kind of like, are you holding your gun up? And he's like, yep, I am now. And like, yeah. that, that should be where the comedy comes in in this. It's the interplay between Downey and whomever is able to hold the screen with him, not the suit. Yeah. So when it busts apart at the one point where... Um, it gets hit by the truck. Yep. It falls apart when he shows up at the really last battle with Killian. Yeah. And yeah. there's one other time it falls apart. Uh, and I can't remember exactly, but it it just has a tendency to undercut all of the moments, all the dramatic moments in this film. And it's it shouldn't be the suit. The suit should be one of the focal points of the film that gets you excited. Okay, he's in the suit. Yeah. Stuff's going to go down now. This is where visually it should take off. Yeah. But they spent more time just kind of sucking this thing together and then it's falling apart. And it should be one of his better suits by now. He's yeah. been Iron Man mm -hmm. for quite some time, and yet this seems to be his most, you know, lacking armor that he's he's built. Yeah. So. Like, I can understand that it's like a prototype. Yeah. But why would you build an armor that isn't full of weapons? Like, that's yeah. what he does. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can, I can give a, a pass on some of that. Yeah. But I just don't like how it's used as a gag more than anything. Yeah. Definitely like, it's, am. nah, it just doesn't seem like Tony Stark. Like he's got all these other suits to do crazy things. Right. And it can open and close and get in and out of them really quick. But it just doesn't have that same 
I don't know that, that Iron Man armor. Like that was yeah. something that you're always looking forward to. What is it going to do? Something crazy. It starts off really cool. It gets a couple of superhero poses. It's flying at them. You kind of get the concept that, yeah, this is something new. But again, I just don't like the idea that it's used as a big gag. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not for me. Yeah, I yeah. It. I mean, you you mentioned um, it undercuts serious moments in the film, and uh, that's one of the biggest issues I had with this film is just a lot of serious moments that should have been serious, and then it just your legs get taken out from under you, and they like throw in like a throwaway line or like yeah, like a gag or something, and it just I don't know, like I I just wish like this is my biggest complaint of the MCU. Um, like I love the MCU. But like this, ha- this seems to happen quite a bit, and I just wish they would stop. <laughs> yeah, and see, and that's why I had a hard time, you know, um, rooting for Tony all these times or understanding where he's coming from. You know, going up into this alien wormhole and the whole idea of him battling with that, I think, is great. Like that's mm-hmm. genius. But the execution wasn't there for me. You go back and you watch, you know, Punisher right now, and that's that's on another level. What they do there, granted, oh, that's so like good. twelve episodes, right? Yeah. But here, you know, you, you get these moments of uh, Tony Stark and he's digging deep. You know, Robert Downey Jr. is a great actor, and then it gets cut off by something kind of silly, like his suit or or they, his dialogue with the kid a couple of times. And it's like, yeah. oh, like has, yeah. I don't need that right now. And that took me out of the performance, even though I think his performance is great. Mm-hmm. But then you get some other, you know, other acts in there that just take away from those moments. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about the PTSD and Tony Stark yeah. a little bit and how they handle that. You say, I agree with you for the most part. Some yeah. of it is a bit undercut yeah. by certain moments. But overall, I think it's it's a good thread that they don't go far enough with. Like, exactly. Like a lot of this mm-hmm. film yeah. is about the deconstruction of Tony Stark. Yeah. Like that's yeah. what it is about. It's take away everything that he is. Mm-hmm. And this is what is taken away. It's a PTSD. For sure. Can he survive outside of the suit? And this is a big worry he has. You see him have that panic attack with Rhodey. You mm-hmm. see him with the kid. I like a lot of the kid stuff. Mm-hmm. Like some of it seems a bit a bit much when he calls him a pussy and all that. Yeah. <laughs> but the kid can hold the screen with Tony oh, Stark, for sure. which yeah. is good. And they don't use the kid as like this pivotal character, like damsel in distress, kid in distress type yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. But this PTSD thing, I like it. it. It relates quite heavily back to Avengers yeah. and what he experienced, what he went through. And it helps you develop this idea of what he's been doing in between. Like he's had to deal with this by building armor suits. He's, yeah. he's going, he's kind of gone off the deep end of yeah, things. He's just tinkering. Like yeah. He tells yeah. Pepper, right? But Sanjay, what are your thoughts on, on PTSD, Tony? <laughs> um, I think it makes sense for Iron Man because at the beginning of his journey, he's just like a businessman. He's not like a hero. Like Thor is a God. Captain America is a soldier. Yeah. Hawkeye is like a secret agent or like a hero for hire. Same with a uh, black widow. Hulk isn't really there. He hulks out and then Bruce Banner comes back. So, uh, it totally would make sense after like this world ending battle in New York that Tony would be a little bit shaken up. Um, and not to say that like Captain America, because he's a soldier, he doesn't get PTSD because that's not true at all. Um, but it just, it just, I think Iron Man was the right choice for them to use this storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it humanizes them too, right? Yeah. Like you, you, you're always felt that at least in Iron Man 1, 2, and Avengers, that Tony Stark's way up here. He's on yeah. a different level, right? He's an invincible Iron Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a genius playboy florent. Well, I can't say that word. <laughs> Philanthropist? Yes. <Good>. yes. <laughs> and this really brings him down to ground level. And if you remember back to Avengers, the reason I like this PTSD thing and how it links up to Avengers is you remember the moment between Captain America and Iron Man yeah. when they're talking, or more Steve Rogers and Tony Stark, when they're talking on the bridge after Coulson dies. And Captain America goes, have you never lost a soldier? 
And he looks straight at him and says, we are not soldiers. And gets really passionate about it, like really digs deep mm-hmm. into Tony Stark, the words that are coming from Captain America, because he understands mm-hmm. loss. Yeah. And Tony Stark says, like, we are not soldiers. This is not what we're trained to do. And so you see him struggling already within Avengers about how and what he's supposed to do as Iron Man. You always think he's got this big handle on, I am Iron Man. I am. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I've privatized world peace yeah. mm-hmm. and you see it all falling apart here and i really like that embedded in this film because this is this big underlying theme right because like i said the deconstruction of tony stark you take everything away from him including who he is you drop him back down to a normal human level yeah and you pull it right apart there and that's all embedded within this ptsd stuff and see and that's why i wanted more of because i think that idea is just so great i just i just wish we got more of it but, yeah yeah and it's a really reference. You get a little bit in Age of Ultron when he kind of freaks out. Yeah. But outside of that, like, you don't ever really get it again. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, like, Shane Black must have really, you know, um, triggered on um, Avengers when Steve Rogers and Tony are arguing. And he's like, you know, take off the suit. Take yeah. off the suit. And clearly, you know, Shane Black was listening because he doesn't have the suit <laughs> no. at all, really, in this yeah. film. So, you know, he really made you see what Tony Stark's capable of, which I had a hard time believing. You know, he does a lot of Black Widow stuff, and I just don't really see him having that training at least beforehand so i thought a lot of that stuff was kind of interesting i'm sure we'll we'll get into more of that later on do you think that's because robert downey jr wanted his face shown as opposed to being hidden behind the mask and just doing that little green screen where you just see him like talking with like the computer <laughs> screen he's like you know I, i'm a good actor i want to actually act in this and yeah. for the most part like this is the most time we see tony stark in any film he's in yeah, it really is, actually, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like, this could be called Tony Stark 1. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's less about Downey wanting to be present on the screen and more about the story that Shane Black was trying to tell, yeah. right? Like, he wanted to tell a Tony Stark story, not an Iron Man story. And that's really reflected in here. And, and what do you do to a character that's already had three films, right? Like, what's the next step? Well, you tear him apart. You tear him down, right? Yeah. He's gone through a very serious event, like a life-changing event. What's the next step? break it down and rebuild it. Yeah. Now they start to, they break this down, this character down to the point where you think that they're not going to build him back up again. Yeah. He has his moment in the sun, his last superhero, his, his big thing is protecting pepper pots. And he gets to that point. Like even at the end of this film, he takes out the, the arc reactor. Right. So everything that defines Tony Stark and like, even you go into this film after we go through the first battle, which we'll get back into, but you look at about half an hour into this film, we get our first battle right after that. He loses Happy Hogan, he loses Pepper, he loses all the suits, his house, Jarvis, and the technology. So you strip Tony Stark of everything, and then you pull him back down, like I said, with the PTSD to yeah. like this really human level, and you've just got Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's whole The whole framework of the film in the first 40 minutes or so is about pulling this character down to nothing and then rebuilding him back up later. Like, he almost takes very similar steps throughout the back half of the film yeah. they did in Iron Man 1 in constructing the armor. Like he's using what he can find to create something, to create some sort of combative or padding himself out with some sort of like pseudo armor yeah. and then working forwards from there into this big Iron Legion. Yeah. So he goes through a very similar development period kind of coming out after he realizes that, okay, I can do this on my own. I don't need the suits. And we'll get into if that is, works or not, but yeah. I think that's what Shane Black was, was searching for. Definitely, definitely. I just could have done with more either at the beginning or more at the end. I agree with you. Because it's Iron Man, you know, you want mm-hmm. that guy 
in that suit. You know, that's what sells the toys. No one buys a Tony Fart. Tony Fart. <laughs> <laughs> no one buys a Tony Stark, you know, action figure no. or Halloween costume, right? Everybody wants that Iron Man yeah. toy, you know? There is a it. hot toy of the Iron Man from, with I the think. Glove. Yeah, right. the glove. And I think there's one in him, like, in the plaid outfit from when he's in the Tennessee town. Oh, is it oh, really? really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, he's the mechanic, man. I guess. Yeah. What a disappointment cool. that would be. It's like, yo, I got you a hot toy. You're like, oh my God, it's Iron Man. You're like, yeah. And you're like, oh. Does it come with the armor? Yeah. <laughs> no, it fell off on the way. Swing <laughs> yeah, and a miss. <laughs> like, that'd be the worst. That'd be like a good practical joke if you were like a millionaire and you could just like throw like 500 bucks down. But like, yeah, here, I got you this Iron Man hot toy. I think, you know, speaking about a million dollars of stuff or whatever, I think there is a hot toy for almost every armor in this film. I think so. I yeah, think really? And even some of the armor that hasn't even been released properly, yeah. you can use yeah. the hot toys. They make it like yeah, like a second of screen time type yeah. thing, right? The yeah. Star yeah. Wars special. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, there's Tony Stark. You know, we've got a little bit on the villain. Let's talk about the Mandarin a little bit here. Uh... We get we get these videos <laughs> now. Before we get into that part, now we get these videos. There's three of them throughout the film, and I really like these videos. They are so good. It's our first real introduction to the Mandarin. We see the ten rings on his fingers in one of these films. And he has these these things about lessons. He's trying to teach something bigger to the president here. You know, some people call me a terrorist. I consider myself a teacher. You remember this from the marketing. It was mm-hmm. so good and so well played. Do you remember seeing the symbol on the back of his neck? There was a cap shield with the anarchy symbol through it. Like... These videos, they're haunting, and they give you this excellent first impression that, okay, we have this killing guy who's obviously going to be something a little big in the film, Yeah. but the big bad is Mandarin. He's buying this stuff off of Killian. That's where I thought it was going when oh, I first watched this. Man. What was your first impression of these videos and of the Mandarin before even trying to forget about Trevor? <laughs> Just the Mandarin or yeah. what was perceived to be the Mandarin? Honestly, this is what sold me for the film. I remember going back to the trailers they said we're going to get the Mandarin. They said Ben Kingsley's playing the Mandarin. And the trailer, man, like, he killed it. I was like, oh, my God. We are in for something. I remember going back to the Iron Man cartoons. And they spent one season when, I think they had, like, these post-credit scenes after every episode. The yeah. Mandarin was collecting his ten rings. Right. And that's the last I ever got of the Mandarin. And then we're going to get him on the big screen live action. I'm like, this is going to be sick. And the, the build-up was great. You, like you mentioned, all those little cutscene movies of his and the dialogue that he's giving you is so good. And, man, Ben Kingsley just killed it. Or Trevor killed it <laughs> yeah. at that point. Oh, I loved it. Loved it. Yeah. The one word I would use to describe them is terrifying. Oh, yeah. Like, in a post-9-11 world, you could easily see how, like, that would affect Iron Man and that would affect the viewer. Because it was like guerrilla warfare. Like, you're seeing the Ten Rings and you're seeing the Mandarin do this, like awful things and they're like training and he has like this army it's public execution yeah Yeah, it's freaky i was like oh man like this is terrifying like they pulled it off you know i I thought we were gonna get something that was gonna compete against heath ledger's joker at that point yeah you know in the the dark Knight, i think we get some kind of camcorder yeah Yeah. when he's got like the guy yeah yeah and i I thought i was like ben kingsley's going all the way like he's gonna do it oh oh yeah i remember reading on message boards and comic book uh websites People saying, I've seen Iron Man 3 and Ben Kingsley is the best villain. He's better than the Joker. Heath Ledger's Joker. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And people kept hyping up his performance and the trailers were showing. I was like, okay, like this could be the one to beat it. Like it's been five years since we've had the Dark Knight. 
you know, and Iron Man 3, Robert Downey Jr. Like, this could be the one that... Ben Kingsley. Ben yeah. Kingsley. This could be the one that dethrones the Dark Knight. And, uh... uh no. <laughs> yeah. No, no is, there, is there any worry from you guys that if they had have fully gone down the Mandarin path, that they just would have fallen into, like, your stereotypical, maybe bordering on kind of racially insensitive type of villain. Because you go back to the original Mandarin from the comic books, <laughs> and it was during the Vietnam War, like, it's very, very insensitive writing when you kind of reflect back on it, what it was, right? It was, you know, the, the stereotypical kind of Asian emperor type mm-hmm. of villain. Like, were they, like, I think Disney had some issues with this, and this is probably why. Well, it's Paramount at this time. Well, this no, because... Paramount was on the is in the front, right. but Disney bought the rights to distribute Avengers and Iron Man three for like a hundred and fifteen million dollars. Okay, cool. Prior to so the deal was here's a hundred million dollars we distribute it as Disney, but Paramount still gets their kind of flag up on the start. So oh, Paramount isn't actually distributing at this point. Right, oh, okay. they're just oh, okay. they just have part of the deal was that they get their fanfare up right. at the start of the film still. But they got like $100 million and got told to piss off. That right <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> a little bit. But yeah. do, do you think there was any fear there? Like, do you, like, if they had to progress through this, because like you said, we're coming off, you know, we're uh, 10, 12 years out from, you know, 9 11. This war is still raging in the Middle East. Would it have been a step too far to go full on with this character? Because again, you're slightly, at least the perception of it, you're slightly switching from you know, an Eastern type of heritage to more of a Middle Eastern type of heritage, kind of playing up a bit more of the Iron Man 1, kind of how they developed his story in the extremist storyline and how they brought that into the comic book about being more focused in on the Middle East. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I I don't see an issue with how they portrayed um, Mandarin until the switch, until the reveal. Um, I thought they did a good job and it wasn't like a, he wasn't like a caricature of like, like a emperor or someone from like the Middle East, you know, like he was, he seemed like a legit terrorist. Yeah. Modeled after Osama bin Laden. I would yeah. Think. yeah. Yeah, yeah like, absolutely. For the uh, most part, like you look at the vignettes and these videos that we're talking about that really strike a chord with the audience. They're very similar to the kind of the propaganda videos that were put out by bin Laden in yeah. the two thousands and that, right. Very yeah. like showing training and this and mm-hmm. that, right. It was, it's all propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and um that's kind of why like i was so hyped because i was like this is terrifying iron man the final battle is going to be insane exactly especially because they're already tippy-toed around it right i mean i i feel like if that was the case then they would have never even bothered bringing that idea at all but since they already probably brought it up to the forefront anyways even though he wasn't really doing those things that he is demonstrating i feel like they could have just gone all the way anyways but for whatever reason they thought it'd be cooler to do a a switcheroo you know so, ah. so some of the stuff I read from Shane Black was that he essentially wanted to build this this character up to be what you perceive a terrorist to be, yeah, and then have that not be the case. That no, it turns out it's the you know the businessman behind him, yeah. And you know I think this this may have I don't know it's it's difficult because you know you're walking a fine line here between you know racially insensitive mm-hmm. and portraying a character that is at least from a perceived perspective something that was what we were experiencing on this, this side of the planet. So it's, it's hard because I think they, if they had a, went as a figurehead, because the next step, right, with the Mandarin is going into the mythical and the magical, yeah, which is a yeah. step that we hadn't taken in the MCU to this point. point. So true. if they had to use them just kind of as a figurehead and never really had him even battle Tony Stark, 
Like I'm fine with using the extremist soldiers and that, but have him as this overarching villain that you get an idea of who it is, but then he disappears at the end of the film. And you never, I, like to me, do you even need to see Ben Kingsley? Like, do you like, cause they never really show his face kind of full on. Like, do you think that this film could have been successful with just these videos from the Mandarin and tease this for Iron Man four or oh, something yeah. later Absolutely. down the road? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. That... awesome. You could, cause you could have even treated him kind of like Zemo for the first bit. Yeah. Doesn't mm-hmm. ha- you don't have to fight Zemo. Like to me, I think again, Zemo's another great villain out there yeah. from, from some war. He never went toe to toe with Iron no. Man or Cap, mm-hmm. but he still had that presence of like, whoa, this guy caused havoc with his mind. Yeah. And I feel like you could have done something similar with, um, with Mandarin. Yeah. yeah. So they, they've subsequently retconned all this. Mm-hmm. So there's a short after one of those Marvel one shots. I can't remember what it is on. It's Thor of the Dark World, maybe, that they retcon Ben Kingsley. He's in jail. He's telling a story to some reporter, and the jail gets attacked. And the reporter reveals to him who's un, like under the um, on the payroll of the actual, the real Mandarin, that the real Mandarin's here because he's pissed off that you're using his name. Right. Oh, okay. So they retconned all of this away that this whole thing with Killian going, I'm the real Mandarin, I'm the yeah. real... It, it's more about kind of this mythos of the Mandarin, but apparently there's a real Mandarin out there. Yeah. So... Yeah. See, and I thought about that, and I think that's that's a cop-out because it's like the general audience, like we mentioned before, you know, the general audience didn't really care for the Switch movie because they don't know the Mandarin like we all know yeah. the Mandarin. But people that do know the Mandarin are the people that are going to, you know, check out that one shot. So it's like, calms us fanboys down to be like, oh, it's okay. They're taking care of it, but it doesn't really matter. They're moving on from the subject. They're not going to bring it back up at this point. So it's just like, it's a recon, but it's just a recon for like the nerds, I guess. Yeah. Not really for the grand audience because they're still going to think that Mandarin is Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Know? So it's it, like a lose-lose. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Agent Colston as well. Exactly. Right. Like yeah, he, he kind of walk back on it. Yeah, he can't come back. If he showed up in Avengers Infinity War, Joe, average moviegoer, yeah. or Jane, average moviegoer, mm-hmm. would be like, I thought he died. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and they're yeah. not going to spend time in a movie explaining Explain that. Can you imagine well, that's like, like half Infinity six, War? Six you know, series <laughs> with it's just Colson like laying everything out. I was here, then I was in space for a bit. Oh, and then this whole thing with like life model decoys. <laughs> Big thing. Oh, and they pick my the Cree. <laughs> it would still make and two billion like, dollars. Oh, why didn't you just call us? We could have helped you with all of this. <laughs> Even just one of us, like yeah. just call four. He yeah. could have finished yeah. it. Like I, I, I had you know deep connections to Tony Stark. I pr- probably could have called him. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, the the Mandarin big misstep. I yeah. agree. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the reveal and and how that was actually done. But cool. I think it. It could have been executed better if they had just left him in these three or four videos. You know, if they had one video right at the end where oh. the, everyone's like, oh, yay, Tony Stark, you win, Cap- or Captain America, Iron Man, <laughs> you're the best. And then just the video pops up again, like, you know, that was your first three lessons, more to come. Like, yeah. th- this oh. type of thing. And just kind of left that as like, okay, well, the Mandarin's still alive. Yeah. And yeah. we just defeated essentially the extremist army. Yeah. And, you know, he's moving and doing something different now. And he pops back up later down yeah. the road. And the screen like pans down. And he's like petting like Fing Fang Foom. Oh, that's oh, a terrible that idea. So I'm sick. Just, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> those, those, uh, yeah, from uh, what do you call it? Defenders. Yeah. <laughs> Dragons exist in the MCU in the Defender. So know that. <laughs> Speaking about extremists, thoughts on the soldiers and the whole idea behind extremists itself, the fire breathing, the CG. What did you think of that? Whew, CG was rough. It, yeah. was, it was, right? It was pretty rough CG. The, the human torch effect wasn't wasn't really working for me. Um, that lady was a little weird, that, that one agent. Yeah. Right? Yeah, she was weird. Yeah, she, yeah. she was a little off. I thought the other guy was okay, like the henchman, that Hogan. Yeah. 
uh, fights. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was all right. He he, he he played that kind of sleazy yeah. guy, just kind yeah. of hanging out. Kind of kind of had the Deadpool villain kind of like oh, swag yeah. going on a little bit. But yeah, they're they really at the ends, just Stooges henchmen. Yeah, you know? yeah. Kind of cannon fodder, more or less. Exactly. Yeah. For a big Iron Legion to fight. Like, yes. Gonna, they they served a purpose, right? Yeah. And that that purpose is just to be pure cannon fodder. Yeah. I, I do like how Tony Stark took out the one lady. I thought that was kind of neat. Like yeah. that to me felt more believable. Him doing that on his own as opposed to him going out and taking out a bunch of you know hired security. Yeah, I, that didn't work for me. But mm-hmm. him taking out the fire lady. Did Did you find yeah. that the extremist power set was inconsistent and also convenient? Yes. <laughs> like when yeah. it, they wanted to melt something, it melted. When they wanted to, like I never understood why their clothes never burnt off. Right. <laughs> they have it's the fantastic four clothes. <laughs> but it's like their their powers seem to kind of vary as they needed, as the plot needed them to. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes they're super powerful, and other times they weren't. Yeah. And Tony Stark's beating them hand to hand, and then he's really struggling with them in his suit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I never really got that that kind of power set where it really like how it gauged up, how like why. Could they melt through a suit, but then when they grabbed onto him, like he didn't burn? Yeah. I, a bit inconsistent there. Definitely. So it was it was hard for me sometimes to take them seriously, knowing that they weren't meant to be taken seriously. But this this threat, this looming threat, where especially at the end when they're fighting and they have all these suits, right? You have mm-hmm. like forty some odd or thirty some odd suits, having a really hard time taking out ten extremist soldiers. When Tony Stark himself took out two, yeah. yeah, like with nothing other than a repulsor ray, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's like it's almost like Tony Stark is like outpowers his own suits, which is kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> overall, it's it's again cannon fodder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now Happy Hogan here, great character. I love seeing John Favreau back, but he plays quite a pivotal role in here, in mostly the sense that he is what really sets Tony down the path of discovering what extremist is and how it relates back to Maya Hansen, possibly uh, Killian. Stop trying to say that name. <laughs> but he uh, he's involved in some sort of explosion at the, the Man's Chinese Theater, and he eventually kind of points him towards some direction. But this, again, falls into this idea of the deconstruction of Tony Stark. You have the incapacitation of Happy Hogan, the explosion, and him finally... In the workshop too, I love the visual, like the visuals in the workshop and how they're pointing out old oh, 3000 degrees and he figures out that something anomalous happens in Tennessee. Now his suit is programmed to go there, which leads us again down another path later on. But we first get into this big fight scene at his mansion where he kind of calls out the Mandarin because he's upset about Happy Hogan, gives him his address and then not a few days or whatever later, he's got rockets firing into this. <laughs> This is our first big action set piece with Tony in the film. Now, this is well over half an hour into it by the time we get here. So it's probably the longest outside of Iron Man 1 we've gone without seeing Iron Man in a proper suit. Yeah. We actually don't really ever see him in proper flight. Like we get a few scenes with Iron Patriot in flight. Yeah. We get nothing like we've gotten in the past with Iron Man with the suit. So what are your overall thoughts here on this first battle sequence with the suit, how it's used, and kind of how we get to this point where Tony Stark is blasted off over to Tennessee. You know, I, I like the beginning of this scene kind of. It's cool. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of Rocky three. you know, when, when uh, Apollo dies and then, you know, Rocky steps in and yeah. challenges the dude. Like, I love that, you know, yeah. a little bit of that. So that's pretty cool. And he, he calls out the cameraman and um, 
finally gets to that armor and um yeah it, it was okay I, I was missing a lot of the the air sequences yes. of iron man flying because you know that's mm-hmm. that's what sold us on the comic-con trailer for iron man one is him you know flying with that missile and mm-hmm. yeah. everybody was blown away and this is what 2013 now it could look better and we, we don't get any of it no. at all so um that was kind of lacking but um the overall mansion kind of coming down and pepper stepping into the suit yeah, yeah it's pepper right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was pretty cool that stuff worked for me but Still a missed opportunity. Yeah, I like the use of it when he sends it to her. Like, yeah, oh, that's, that's, cool. that's cool. That's yeah. great. That's genius. really cool. Yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah. But you're right. He never gets out in the open air. Yeah. To fight, and when they do, it's in the dark. Like you don't get any daytime. Like you get a little bit, I guess, when he's saving people from Air Force One. Yeah. But you never get like this daytime him out battling the helicopters and all that. He shoots a piano at one, and I get yeah. that it's not a an armored suit or a, it has a suit with ammunition or anything in it. But yeah, I think. <laughs> Some of it, again, it comes down to it's a Tony Stark story. Mm-hmm. But we still want to see some of his Iron Man stuff at the same yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the scene to me was claustrophobic. Like, uh, you know, you got like the stuff coming down, the water, the mansion, everything. I just like, I thought it was effective, actually. That scene was one of my favorite scenes because it made me feel claustrophobic and it like brought me what the characters were feeling. So I thought that was actually a pretty cool scene. Yeah, it was effective. Yeah. yeah, it was it was all right, and it gets you, and it kind of drives the plot forward here. It, it kind of puts a big cap on this idea of like we're gonna to take Tony Stark apart and we're gonna drop him into somewhere with absolutely nothing. And this is where we end up with Tony Stark in Tennessee here. So very much a fish out of water. We've taken stripped down everything that is Tony Stark, and he's introduced to this young kid named Harley after commandeering his garage with the Iron Man suit. And we talked about their chemistry, great chemistry with this kid and all. But the one interesting point here, and this may be, may be me digging way too deep into this film, <laughs> as I have a tendency to do. But he kind of introduced himself as the mechanic, and he refers to himself as the mechanic once or twice throughout the film. And I thought this was an interesting way, because you look at what's just happened to Tony Stark. He doesn't call himself a futurist, an inventor, Tony Stark, Iron Man, nothing. He refers to himself as the mechanic which I think is pretty significant because it like inherently a mechanic fixes things that others have done. And that's not Tony Stark. Why does he identify with a mechanic? Like I just, I never fully got that, but I thought it was a really interesting twist in the character that he didn't identify himself anymore as this futurist, as an inventor, Iron Man, anything. And you see him a lot of times sitting on that couch at one point in the garage and he's looking straight at the Iron Man suit. Like, you see a lot of separation between Tony Stark and Iron Man, which is really cool. I think visually how they did that. They seem a lot like looking. There's even times where he's looking right at a helmet at one point, and mm-hmm. it's on fire, and he's looking at it. Like, I get this feeling that they're two different characters looking at each other and kind of separating themselves out. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Banner-Hulk thing, right? If right. Banner would be sitting looking at the Hulk. Right. So I thought it was really cool how they did that. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um. Yeah, no, that, that's... That's pretty interesting. I never, I never looked at it that way because I was confused actually. You know, when he, when he told the kid he's a mechanic, because I thought the kid already figured out who he was because yeah. he's like, you're dead, but that's a cool costume. You know, that's yeah. that's the Iron Man costume. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I never, I never picked up on that. But looking at it in that perspective brings a lot more weight to everything. So that's um, that's pretty cool. I really do like the chemistry between him and the kid. Yeah. Um, I especially really like it now because it's kind of like foreshadowing with his relationship with, as Peter. Because mm-hmm. in Civil War, his relationship with Peter and Homecoming, of course, it's so cool how he talks to that kid because he talks to Peter no differently than how he talks to this kid, which means he just, you know, that's just how he is. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a dick like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the kid, I find, he's great. You mentioned it before. He holds his own acting-wise against um, Robert Downey Jr. 
nothing to take away from the kid. I just found him like not the kid. I just found it weird why he was there. Like, what was the point of having that kid? It felt very random. I remember watching this movie and I was like, whoa, like, where did this guy come from? And he just has this garage. I, it felt very out of place, but the relationship is great. Um, it works for me. I just felt like it was just kind of a weird plot in the film. Why this, this child was kind of here on his own pretty young kid. So I don't know. He doesn't turn out to be anybody either. Right. Like, no, I don't think he's not. No one's comics. saying people are at, we're like, it's Peter Parker. Yeah. yeah. Or, 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 or some people even say maybe it's a young, uh, Richard Ryder, right. Yeah. At one point too and whatnot, but it's just kind of a random. Yeah. yeah, the kind of with the kid not the way I looked at it was that you know we're throwing Tony into this completely different scenario, mm-hmm. and one thing that they've never done with Tony is have him go toe to toe with a kid. Yeah, like he's not a father, he didn't have a great childhood, yeah. and so well he's not a father that he knows of. Yeah, he knows of. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's an interesting dynamic and something different to do with Tony Stark. Because you see him go, you know, he's got great chemistry with Pepper Potts. You see him with Rhodey. He's got had the whole Avengers thing going on. But we haven't seen him with a kid. Yeah. And like you said, it, it's great chemistry. To me, it works. Mm-hmm. Because the problem I always have with kids in films like this is I, f- I find they have a tendency to pull everything down to kind of a, you know, a lesser denominator. Right. And I get why they're doing it. They're trying to make the film somewhat relatable to, you know, 10-year-olds or whatever. That's fine. Yeah. But... They do this in the way that they never put the kid as a, a kind of a pivotal plot point where he needs to be rescued or he's always getting into trouble or even to the point where you see kids sometimes like you see this in this funny enough this kids in Jurassic World but oh, yeah you see them get into positions where it's like if you had just not done that or listened you would have been just fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Carl you from never Walking s- Dead yes exactly <laughs> so they never get into a situation where the kid's done something and then Tony has to like revert back and save him before carrying on so there's not an underlying kind of plot that within Tennessee that revolves around Tony and this kid. Mm-hmm. It's more about kind of driving forward their narrative via this kid. And I like the dynamic there. It's something yeah. different, something new. Yeah. Yeah. The kid, you know, I'm more with Troy. I felt he was a little random. Um, and he just happened to be like a science geek that like knew a bunch of stuff, but he also happened to be poor and he had all the stuff that Tony needed, but he didn't have a dad. And it just like felt, too convenient that like everything that like the kid needed tony had and everything that tony needed the kid had and nothing else it just seemed kind of contrived but i don't know i thought it was cool that they went to tennessee i love tennessee so that's cool (laughs) in the middle of winter at christmas time i love tennessee worked for me yeah yeah tennessee that's a great location i could have picked any 50 states but they chose tennessee so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because they could have really leaned on the father figure, like Tony trying to be different and be a father figure. But I love how they toss it out there. Like they give him the opportunity. He's like, nah, don't be a pussy about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, dad, dad, dad leave all the time. Don't be a pussy about it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that because it was like, it was kind of a cool, like, here's something different. Oh, Tony Stark could be a completely different human. It's like starting your life over. Be yeah. a father figure to this kid. Nah. So yeah. Tony Stark. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. You know, it's unfortunate. I mean, um, when this movie takes place and when they filmed it, because, you know, obviously going back now, it's easy to say like, oh man, that should have been Ruby Williams, you know, like just yeah. throw her in there. Oh, like, that yeah. would have been perfect, you know, awesome. but I mean, it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. We just got the character way later down the yeah. road, you know. But yeah, yeah that would have been cool. Yeah, but and, you know, is it? It's like the Star Wars effect, right? Does yeah. everyone have to be someone? Exactly. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The answer yeah. is yes. Yeah. 
So as we wrap up this Tennessee bit here, we get kind of this battle, the small town battle. Tony Stark doing his thing with extremist soldiers as he's connecting some of the pieces between the soldiers blowing up and not leaving any evidence of a bomb and how that links to extremists. And then he ends up fighting the soldiers themselves. Overall, I think a good way, I like this kind of pit stop in Tennessee. It kind of gives us a little bit of time to breathe from what's going on, realize what's happening with Tony Stark, but then overall drives this extremist soldier thing going forward a bit more as he connects the pieces, more of the detective work of Tony Stark. I like to call him Agent Tony Stark in this film. Yeah, <laughs> another set of skills I didn't know he had, but <laughs> it works. He's a man of many talents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Harley himself helps Tony kind of eventually deduce as to where the Mandarin is, where Killian is, the extremist soldier program. And it turns out to be in Miami, <laughs> sunny Miami. Yeah. And this is where we get, again, secret agent Tony Stark doing his things, like you mentioned, Troy, yeah. with the agents kind of wandering through as he's gone, kind of haphazardly put things together from a hardware store. He's got that yeah. glove, yeah. the yeah. balls, Christmas, Christmas balls means. or whatever yeah. and all this stuff. It's all right. Like, <laughs> sure. I'm glad you mentioned the hardware because uh, Troy doesn't know about this scene. So I'm going to lay it on you, Troy. Yeah, yes. okay, yeah. So there's a scene the that was supposed to take place in this film. It was in the first two drafts of the film. So um, Killian, he has like this extremist. So he's really like everything is to the extreme. Like he's got like more muscles. He's like bigger. He's got confident. He's smarter. Pockets. He's got pockets galore. <laughs> like the nineties. Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he's uh, excreting this, uh, pheromone, I guess that makes pepper like can't resist him. Like, oh. uh, yeah. So pepper can't resist him. So she's like in love with him. And they kind of talk about it in the movie, like show a bit of it in the movie. Like she's kind of, like swooning over him but they never really explain it oh so um because of that what was supposed to happen in the second first and second drafts of the film so this made it quite far was that killian because he had these pheromones was gonna have sex with pepper Potts, film it and then when tony is shopping around the hardware store he was going to show it on the TV what? and show it to the whole world. Tony yeah. Stark, no this is one of your lessons. <laughs> what? It's a terrible idea. <laughs> Isn't that crazy that like that made it that far? Like, that that's far. an awful idea. Like What? It's, it's like one of those things that you read something or see something, you're like, why didn't someone catch this earlier? Yeah. Like, I feel like this shouldn't have made it into the film. Like, who okayed this? Yeah, yeah. like, who put this in the first draft and the second draft? Like, come on. that. Yeah, that's just out there. That would yeah. have been, like, one of the... They should have kept it in, actually. Like, if you're going to go bad, just go full bad, you know? But, like, okay, let's, let's talk about that. Like, at this point in the film, not including that, like, where are you at with... Like, I, I know we've beat a few things up here, yeah. but where are you at with your perception of it before we go because the big pivotal thing that we're going to talk about next year is the reveal right mm -hmm. so up until this point in the film what's your engagement level like how are you liking it um yeah i think at this point i'm, I'm kind of like i'm i'm, I'm watching it <laughs> but, I'm, <laughs> but i'm waiting you know i'm waiting for that armor i'm like come on let's pick it up because yeah. i'm coming off of the heels of avengers you know we, we got some of the best armor and you even mentioned it. i think you said it before that's the best tony Stark, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So you know, I, I'm all in, and I want some more tone, not Tony, more Iron Man, and you know, this film's going on and on, and, and like I mentioned, we got this kid that I don't really care for, and uh, so I'm, I'm about to check out at this point. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. like turn the doorstep. I'm on the, I'm on the doorstep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. shove <laughs> <laughs> I'm About to get a refund. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Actually, I'm kind of the opposite. Up until this point, I was digging it. You know, yeah. like it was kind of slow, but I could kind of see where they're building towards this big battle between Tony and the Mandarin. Um, you know, it's like it's you mentioned Rocky. It kind of feels like a Rocky film yeah. where he gets knocked down and he's got to train and come back up and yeah. take on the Mandarin. So Why I was do like, we get knocked down <laughs> <laughs> to get back up from a much better film. <laughs> <laughs> Never <laughs> seen Batman. <laughs> you know it's bad when Tim is referencing Batman That's in the Iron line. Man review. That's good <laughs> okay, uh, so yeah, so like my engagement level is actually pretty high at this nice. point. I'm like, okay, let's see what's going on. Like as I'm, I'm with Troy too. Like let's see some more Iron Man armor, but you gotta knock him down to rock bottom before you build him back up. And I was thinking, okay, he's hitting rock bottom anytime now. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, and I think I'm a bit more aligned with you here, Sanjay, is that it's hard. I don't remember what it was like when I was watching it. I think up to this point, I'm fairly engaged. Yeah. Like, with the goggles on, I'm engaged. I'm liking what they're doing. I'm seeing where this plot's going, what they've done, why they've chosen certain elements. Yeah, they could have punted a character like Maya Hansen. But up to here, I think they've done a really good job deconstructing Tony Stark, taking him down, like you said, to the rock bottom. To the like, and, and yeah, my headcanon's getting maybe wrapped up in here a bit, and I'm looking kind of retrospectively back at this. But I like it up to this point. And the Mandarin's done wonders for me yep. in these vignettes. And... But it's, it's this next part which really throws the movie into a bit of a tailspin for a while. Is that we get this third Mandarin video. And really it's the build up to it, right? You see Killian at one point say the master is about to record. You know how he gets. And then he walks in. He's on set. And even like the security guards, right? They're looking away from him. They're not mm-hmm. looking, making direct eye contact. You know, really great build up into this recording of the third video. Which then the fallout from that is him doing a public execution, mentioning outright the Roxxon Oil Company, yeah, which is a nice nod to. And you know this kicks off the whole thing with Iron Patriot, eventually getting captured with the suit because he's out trying to find the Mandarin. They're pinging off different sources, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of build up to finding the Mandarin, but also who he is. And when they make this reveal, looking back at the scenes building into it, it makes no sense unless most people are not under the understanding that he is in fact an actor. Like why would the security guards be like these big dudes with guns be like, like looking away from this and Ben Kingsley's not a big guy. No, no. <laughs> so I, that, that was a bit of a disconnect for me because when we go into this reveal and Tony Stark makes his way into the mansion, kind of cuts his slices his way through all these guys and he shows up in the room and there's these girls in bed and then he comes out and he's got this English accent. He's coming out of the toilet making shit jokes. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, yeah. uh, oh. You know, it's just like it falls apart. Like I have here right in my review notes, like what the F? Yeah. Like <laughs> what is going on here? What was this turn? Like why did this need to be a thing? Like they're trying so hard, it seems, to divert themselves from walking this fine, you know, maybe potentially racially insensitive line. They have the control here, though. Yeah. Like we have to remember, like they have – he, he wrote this film exactly with Drew Pierce so like they have the ability to craft this in a way that maybe is a bit more sensitive but why did they do this I still don't get it I tried to justify this in my head like I try to do this every film right yeah I take and try to look at it from a different angle I can't find the angle here other than the fact that the Mandarin is about something bigger yeah but it's not an individual it's an idea concept right it's battling the American infant I don't know it's like, what's what's your take on this? Because I remember sitting in the film, like I remember this, like distinctly sitting there, being like, "What? Yeah, like what? Like, wait, this this, 
it's it's one of those reveals that you're like this isn't happening right? yeah oh yeah like yeah i don't like to compare things like this because don't get me wrong i still really love the last jedi yeah but i had a few of these moments in the last jedi yes i was like like what like yep. why did they do that the lightsaber of the shoulder was I the same feeling yes. yeah i got in the last jedi when you chuck chuck the lightsaber i was with trevor i was like did no one watch yeah, this before i hit the screen <laughs> yeah like, yeah. did someone do this in isolation? Yeah. Like, surely this goes through numerous checks and balances. <laughs> like, do you remember your reaction in the theaters when this happened? Or at least when you watched it before recording this? Yeah, you know, uh, my wife and I just both looked at each other like, what did they just do? Because like we, I, I mentioned, you know, there's so much anticipation going on behind this character of the Mandarin. We couldn't wait to see the reveal, like I said, from the uh, movie one. You hear the Ten Rings. You can't wait to see this. And... They're like you mentioned. They're literally doing fart jokes in this whole thing. I, I already did. I already checked out at this point because we got the scene of of Tony Stark, you know, breaking into the mansion. So yeah. at that point, I was already like, this this is pretty whack. And then we get this reveal that the Mandarin is just Trevor. And I I just remember, you know, looking at my wife and being like, um, you know, if this was uh, the Joker and he re- revealed himself to just be some actor or somebody else and yeah. we'd lose our minds a literal yeah. clown yeah, a little, yeah yeah exactly we just we'd all lose our minds and yeah. for them to take like you mentioned Sanjay um. One of Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man's biggest villains of all time. If not the... The biggest, yeah. right? To, to do that was just such a disservice to the character. And, and kind of a slap in the face to... Well, I guess for the hardcore you know, nerds, it was a slap in the face. Because we all have an idea of who the Mandarin is. And the last thing we were thinking when a villain is introduced in a film is that they're going to do a switcheroo that the villain actually isn't the villain after all. It's just a mm-hmm. nobody. Like, that That sucks. And like you mentioned, this totally was a Last Jedi moment when the lightsaber was thrown um kind of like the, like the poe humor to me it just it just took me right out so man i was i was pissed did not like this at all yeah um first of all i didn't like the reveal um obviously and how they went about revealing it like he comes out of the washroom he's like oh don't go in there and then cracking like, beers yeah. yeah and then like iron man's like tells those like three girls he's like good get in the washroom and they're like, do we have to? And he's like, yes. And they go in there and they're like, oh, it smells in here. Yeah. I was like, what movie is this? Like, is this made by like an eight-year-old who yeah. thinks that's hilarious? Like, that's just Maybe. <laughs> really bad humor, really like childish. Like, for a movie that, um, you know, was using humor a lot, like they could have done it in a different way. Like, I don't know, like maybe not make him like an actor, but if they were afraid of upsetting people, then don't even use the exactly. Mandarin. You know, just use, as you said, use Killian and take out the whole Mandarin thing or just have some other, like, terrorist not named the Mandarin. Or, like I said, just have it as an ongoing thing that never really has a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just yeah. there, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And just have it, like, that Killian is in cahoots with him, but not really. It's The problem is with a twist like this. Like, big twists in movies, you should be able to go back and be, like, run through all the things in your head and be like, okay, I should have seen yeah, this coming, exactly. or they built into this properly. The problem is with this reveal is that they did the opposite. Like, they tried so hard to make you think that the Mandarin was the Mandarin, or was this character you had built up in your head, mm-hmm. and then they switched it on you. There's At no point in this film is there any indication that it's anything but the Mandarin that we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the problem with that. You look at good twist films, Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Like, this, that's an extreme case, right. but, yeah. like, you go back retrospectively and look at that. There's a ton of clues 
as to what the reveal is actually going to be. Well, I haven't seen it, so don't spoil it. (laughs) (laughs) None of those clues are here. Like, nothing. And the other problem, too, is with twists in a movie, it shouldn't take you so far out of the movie because you're trying to piece things together and trying to come to some sort of realization as to what just happened that you lose the next part of... And some of these are more pivotal scenes because you get some of the motivations explained here of killing and that. But my problem was I was sitting there thinking, like, what, like, what, what's going on here? So you spend, say, two, three minutes of the film trying to reconcile what just happened. You, you're totally out of the film at this point. Yeah. And if you're struggling with it before, like you were, yeah. like you, you've completely checked out oh, at this yeah. point. Well, and it's bogus. I remember, you know, looking at one of the posters, you have Ben Kingsley, the Mandarin, in his throne, sitting, or, and, and his yeah. foot is crushing an Iron Man helmet. Yeah, Like, so come cool. on. So they totally mismarketed it. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, man... Should take them to court or something. Yeah, crazy. I couldn't believe this. I'm just getting furious thinking about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, to me, this is uh, like unforgivable. Like, yeah, the way that they played this out and like just that he was such like this oaf. Yeah, and like that, that was almost mo- most of the problem, right? That he was a, a just bumbling idiot. idiot. Yeah, yeah, like if he was just like a normal dude, it would wouldn't have been as bad. It still would have sucked, but yeah. it wouldn't have been this bad. Like he was, he was like Mr. Magoo or someone. Like just like just complete idiot who couldn't even nods off for a second yeah like you have a hard time believing this guy was even actually like a trained actor yeah like you can't just turn that on right yeah like yeah sure actors are actors but like he was he went from one extreme to the other (laughs) like complete opposite ends of the spectrum yeah and no one from uh, his acting classes or acting roles would have been like oh hey that's trevor it's not the mandarin yeah Yeah. like someone would have been like you know those videos would have been everywhere. They, they, they do say in there that he got plastic surgery. Like yes. They paid for his plastic surgery or something. Yeah, like, they do yeah. say that. Which Who is prefer- another cop-out. Like, it's like a yeah. throwaway, too. Because yeah. I'm sure, like, people have been thinking, like, how you were. So, like, throw in the plastic surgery line. Yeah. You won't see it coming. That, that, you'll <laughs> never see we- that line yeah. coming. I mean, we never did see it coming. So, in a way, I guess he was correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... you know it's kind of hard to recover from that point because you know as we get to the back half of this film and as it sort of wraps up here we get some more scenes that we want to see with iron man right you get this air force one bit where you have the iron patriot suit after roadie's been extracted from it kind of flying up to air force one they shove the president in it takes off for his kind of stringing up and public execution get a really cool rescue sequence when air force one blows up and all those people are falling that's cool that's cool yeah. yeah one thing that i thought of though there's like a dozen people that follow that plane surely there's hundreds of people on that plane that died <laughs> like the president does not travel around with a dozen people yeah well yeah. not this president but, uh... <laughs> but it was cool i watched one of some of the behind the scenes things and they did a lot of this practically like wow. the wow the scenes like them falling and then they had this like big contraption like cranes and all that set up and they had everyone attached together a guy in an iron man suit so it's actually pretty cool how they did it all that's pretty cool it's, yeah. it's a nice sequence overall because what do you call it the, the monkey barrel yeah oh basically, yeah, the yeah. Game. i was like yeah okay i see yeah. that that's cool yeah. i really do like that scene yeah. yeah and then how it's kind of i like the homecoming kind of threw back to this about him not being in the suit yes yeah, yeah, like him controlling it from a distance. Yes, mm-hmm. that's a great callback. And, and you know, another cool thing, I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, they have some Star Wars transitioning scenes. I mean, other movies have done this too, but for instance, like you see a scene where like the rocket goes and then it pans to the side like a Star Wars film. Oh, Did you guys yeah. notice those a couple know. times? No, in the next scene. And I think they did it like two or three times. It's like, ah, Star Wars. It was foreshadowing. Disney's like, we will buy Star Wars yes. soon. Yes, well. yeah. <laughs> yes, they <it's> teasing. <laughs> You'll never see it coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
actually, it's funny, you bring up kind of the cinematography there and the editing. Yeah. What about the music? Because that was a big thing for Iron Man 1 and 2. And yeah. even in Avengers, that was his kind of intro was mm-hmm. ACDC. Yeah. First right. Iron Man film with no ACDC in it. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. Uh, I guess they did it for like dramatic effect, you know, to yeah. tone down and make it more serious. Yeah. But um, there was an Iron Man theme in there too. That it was a bit reminiscent of the Avengers theme. Yeah. And so you kind of caught, I caught a bit of that more, but the score was, was pretty fly. I missed some of that rock and roll Iron Man. Yeah. Like I know they're trying to do something different here, Yeah. but like that should have been almost, even if they had to play that while he was doing his agent Tony Stark thing, like a little bit of that maybe would have gotten me a bit more into yeah, it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. I don't really know. Apart from that agent, Tony Stark, I don't know where else you could have put the rock music. No. Maybe but but I, I didn't miss it because it felt like kind of like the Wonder Woman theme where it's like you every Wonder Woman movie you need that theme so yeah, have an Iron Man <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely and Justice League and Batman oh, v yeah. Superman yeah. But, but for an Iron Man film yeah not to have the rock and roll it, it was a little weird especially you know being the final Iron Man movie yeah. at least as of right now it is kind of weird not yeah. having it in there but the score was pretty flat yeah alright the final fight sequence the docks here we get Rhodes and Tony Stark I love their chemistry in this film but they're running around doing their Agent Rhodes Agent Tony Stark thing without suits uh, they're battling these extremist soldiers, kind of shooting them, running around. And Tony, for the most part, spends a lot of time outside of the suit, yeah. even in this sequence here. But the house party protocol, pretty cool to see all mm-hmm. of these Iron Man suits show up. I feel like, one, we should have spent more time maybe in this type of a battle. And two, did it ever question or run through your head, why didn't he call one of these suits earlier? <laughs> all the time. Uh, yeah, actually, that totally makes sense. I didn't even think of that. I was yeah. like wait a second like they take away jarvis from him so i get it but even when he's doing the rescue from air force one yeah calling the iron legion that's my biggest pistol i was like well one of them i was like yeah why didn't you call one of these guys the whole time the whole time you could have called you didn't have to call thor you didn't have to call cap you could have called jashville armor yeah and you you never did and again just too much of the in and out it it was cool seeing him like hop in and out of his armor i love i thought that was pretty neat i think that's like the best cg we got throughout the whole film but again, really missing the absence of, uh, of him just being in his armor and just really kicking ass. Yeah. Like, is really lacking in this film, you don't especially get, for his farewell. Yeah, and you don't get a lot of the heads up display, like him in the suits. No. Mm-hmm. Like, that's another great thing that they did visually yeah. in the Iron Man films because you want more Tony Stark. You want more, you get a lot of them in this film. Yeah. But you want more of that. I love the heads up display and you're seeing the different things popping up. You don't really get no. a ton of that in here either. You see Rhodey do it more than, yeah. than Tony yeah. Stark does. I think Rhodey has more time in suit flying, yeah. doing the heads up stuff. Than Tony Stark does in yeah. this film. I didn't time it out, but it's got to be pretty damn close. Yeah. But why doesn't Rhodey get a suit at the end? It just seems dickish of Tony Stark to be like, "Oh yeah, no, these only work for me." Yeah. It's like you're just leaving him unarmored to fight in this big battle. It's like he's War Machine. He's Iron Patriot. Give him a suit, man. Like yeah. that's, that's and you know, stupid. Yeah. Yeah, because that's another funny thing. Like that was a big plot point in what Iron Man Two. Where he, when he was kind of giving up, thought he was dying, he yeah. coded them all to Rhodey, right? Right. Like, you are the one other person that can use this. And yeah, I don't know. Do you think there's maybe some redundancies in there that would allow Rhodes to? It's kind of, you're kind of nitpicking at this point. But doesn't Pepper wear it though? Yeah. 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 He, she, well, no, not really. The, he, he puts it on her at the start, but she like jams her arm into the arm oh, and uses it. She doesn't okay. really, yeah. Control so it. it's, it's funny because. This whole scene, like I remember the house party thing and all that, but like when I rewatched this to do this, I don't remember any of this. No. But do you remember sitting in the in the, or when you first watched this and seeing Pepper Pods die? Do you think that they actually went there and killed her? 
No. No? No, I didn't believe it at all because she had the, the, the extremist. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, there's, there's no way they killed her off like that. I was like, no. But she was ripped pepper though. Like she oh. was like jacked. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Like extremist or no extremist. She's ready to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She yeah. Was. <laughs> <laughs> what about the Igor armor? That was the one that people were like, oh my God, it's the a Hulkbuster. Hulk I remember yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And then now you see the real Hulkbuster. Yeah, you're like, like, yeah, no. go away, Igor. <laughs> yeah. And all it did was just hold up the building. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you could have used this big ass Iron Man suit to fight people, but no. <laughs> He'll just hold up the building. You could have literally opened the doors and held up your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So overall, this this death, the death of Killian, this kind of final battle. Iron Man, he really doesn't fight too much. Again, this is another scene that's heavily undercut by the breaking apart. The the return of the prodigal armor yeah. that just falls apart. It's like, oh well, I guess we're gonna do this hand to hand. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's it's fine. It it kind of wraps up. He shoves him in the suit, blows the suit up, and that's the end of Killian. What what did you think of his his final I'm the Mandarin? What did you what did oh, you think of that part? Nice throwaway. He's all like red and stuff, like yeah. glowing. He looks like uh Chris Evans is uh human torch. Yeah. He looks like, kinda of like Iron Fist, but he's got those yeah. Ding Fang Foom tattoos. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I didn't I it kinda of says that okay, the point of the Mandarin is that it's like it's about the name not so much about the individual but the problem with that is that it's not like they had that through the other films right it's not like it's been this mantle that's been passed on because they've never talked about it before it's like this one character that that we thought it was but turns out it's this guy if that had been something that was mentioned in iron man one if this was more of a continuous thread outside of the 10 rings Mm -hmm. i could have maybe bought more into that that it's more about the mantle than about the individual yes and kind of a mantra or something or like at least an overall objective behind the name, some sort of um, philosophy. Right. But it never goes that far. Yeah. Like it never, it's not deep enough for me to buy into the fact that I am the Mandarin, right? It's, you know, you're trying, are you trying to mirror like I am Iron Man type yeah, thing? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Never works for me on no. that level. And Killian overall never worked for me as a villain. No. Like, and you know, it's cool that Pepper Potts comes back and kind of kicks some ass. And I yeah. like that she's never really used... She is a bit, but not as much as a damsel in distress. Yeah. She kind of like fends for herself and you don't get so much of that. And so I like that aspect of it, but the whole way that it ends, fine. It just kind of ends, right? Yeah. It's it's the constant issue that we had or have had with Iron Man films is that you have some good sequences building up to it. And the end, it just kind of like, we don't really know what we're doing here. Let's end it, wipe our hands with this and go home and take a check. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, overall. So the clean slate protocol. This is one of the last things we see in this film. And one of the things we didn't really talk about as much is kind of the relationship with Pepper and Tony and how him building the suits, PTSD is putting a strain in the relationship. And so in what seems to be more of a gesture to Pepper and potentially Tony Stark finally letting go of this idea that he can be separate from the suits, he decides to blow up all 40 or whatever, 30 some odd of his suits that are remaining. What are your thoughts on the way this ended? Well, yeah, when he when he blows up his armor and destroys it, I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, because at the time, and even still to this day, I'm like, okay, this is the final Iron Man movie. Yeah. This is how you end it. I guess, you know, he did the one Avengers movie. Somehow he'll yeah. come back, but this is this is it for Tony Stark. And I'm like, okay, cool. But then the final note where he leaves off of the film is like, I am Iron Man. That was, that a, was like, okay, wait, what? Huge mistake. Yeah. Huge, huge mistake. The major disconnect, and then you know, skipping forward when we get into Age of Ultron, yes. like this movie never even existed, and he's just, hey, I'm Iron Man, like nothing changed. Like that was so weird. I guess we will cover that later, or you know, at some point. But 
that was really weird for me because you don't need this movie. Like this makes this movie just nonsense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like in between Iron Man three and age of Ultron. So he builds another suit and he builds the Hulk buster and and the iron Legion and the iron Legion. Like if, so what if Hulk had gone crazy in between that time? He wouldn't have had anything to take right. him away. Like, like is, is, is this what him and uh, Ruffalo were talking about the whole time? Because I guess, you know, you find out he's been talking to Ruffalo yeah. at the end of this film. So they've been talking back and forth about the Friday project, which, or not Friday. It's, um, what's the armor called? It's, it's, it's the, um, it's not Friday. What's he called? I totally Jarvis? Day? Hmm? Jarvis? No, Thursday? you know the Hulkbuster, but it's yeah. called something. Oh, Veronica. It? Veronica. Uh, That's what it is. <laughs> what, where'd you get Friday? I don't know where I got Friday. No, Friday is the, the voice. Like, that's his new Jarvis. Yes, okay, so that's why I said Friday, yeah. yeah. But Veronica is the name that him and Bruce yeah. Banner came up with. Yeah. So like Betty the, and Veronica. Yeah, Betty exactly. Bruce Banner's crew. Uh, exactly. Which we'll exactly. never see in the MCU. No, no she's done. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think that the way this ends, it, it has this kind of like, the stamp, like, this is it. Like, even the quote at the end here is, as Christmas morning began, my journey had reached its end. We create our own demons. Pepper Potts gets fixed. And he said, but why stop there? He yanks out the arc reactor from his chest. So now he's living with, with the shrapnel and all that. And he ends up going back to Cali to his old place and chucking the arc reactor in the water. To me, it's a bit of a disconnect because you go back to Iron Man 1, it was like this big deal that Tony Stark had a heart because he had this arc reactor thing, right? This was proof of it. And so they didn't tie back enough to Iron Man 1 to give me that kind of, that conclusion that I wanted. And I agree with you, the I am Iron Man, it should have been I am Tony Stark. Exactly. Yeah. Why? (laughs) Like, they they spent this whole film, and I think (laughs) one of the bright spots in this film here is Tony Stark's arc. Like, it, it ebbs and flows a bit, and the movie around him is a bit messy, but I think what they set out to do is tearing him down, like I said numerous times, deconstructing him. It works until this last line. <laughs> like, you take it all apart, and then you say, I'm, I'm Iron Man? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Why did they end it like that? You should have been like, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> it really should have been. It really should have been. <laughs> so... Overall, guys, all right, that, that wraps up the review to this point. You know, we've taken this movie apart a bit. And we do get the post credit scene, which is a bit of a throwaway again. You get Banner here talking, so it's kind of connecting out Science Bros, which is fine. Originally, it was supposed to be like we had mentioned a Guardians kind of tease. Mm-hmm. But overall, gentlemen, do you recommend <laughs> Iron Man 3? Um, unfortunately, I'm going to say no. Um, yeah, as Troy said, it kind of becomes mute because if you just ignore it, you could just skip through the other ones. Like, not there's no repercussions to this film. Like, nothing really um, reverberates through the rest of the MCU. Uh, there's some cool stuff from Tony, some cool like fight scenes with some armor and stuff. But uh, on the whole, I'm gonna say no. And you know, looking back now. I know we'll get into like the other movies, but this may be like the weakest trilogy of the MCU. I think it's even like less than Thor now. Um, I think this may actually definitely less than Captain America. It's hard with Iron Man one in there, but Iron Man one is fantastic trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would put this one at last. I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe I'll have to watch the other ones later. Well, this trilogy last or yeah, this trilogy last compared to the Thor and Captain America trilogy. Definitely below Cap. Yeah. Yeah. Cap is number one, but this one, I'd say this one and Thor is neck and neck, which is crazy because Iron Man one is great. Um, but Iron Man two and three, no, they kind of are both misses. (laughs) Like you get one out of three. So yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Um, for me, I, I would skip it. I completely skip this film. Like, poor villain, poor CG, poor fight scenes, not enough Iron Man. They did a horrible job with the Mandarin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously, and, yeah. and, and, and you know what the sad thing is? Like, it sounds like I'm beat up on this film, but I'm actually more positive about this film this time around than when I first saw it. Like, if if I was recording my review after the first time I saw this film, yeah, I'd be just dropping nothing but f-bombs <laughs> right now. Like, I, I was furious when I saw this film the first time, but um, yeah. And then at the end of the film, like we, we just talked about, right? It it takes away from everything. When you go into Age of Ultron, you do not need this film whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They never go back to this Tony Stark. I really feel as a missed opportunity what they did with the character struggling after going into the the alien wormhole. I feel like that was such a cool idea and they should have dug on it even more so and they just did a, a whole bunch of nonsense in between. So for me it's a it's a throwaway. I don't think it's I still like this trilogy more than Thor. I think Thor is the bottom. Thor Ragnarok's great, but after going back to Thor 1 and 2, I, I put those ones pretty low. Um I'm going Cap is definitely the best trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Hands down. Because I, I love Winter Soldier. I love First Avenger. And I love Civil War. Um, this movie, yeah, it, it's not good. But I like, I like, <laughs> I like Iron Man 1. And there's some redeemable, redeemable qualities from Iron Man 2 that I really do like. There's scenes in there I can recall. Like the race car scene that I really like. That's good. Yeah. I like Whiplash more than any villain. Like, which is crazy. I like Whiplash way more than any character, any villain in this film. And man, this, yeah. Don't don't go out there and see this film. <laughs> don't stay far away from this film. All right. Well, I'm a little bit on the. I'm gonna give this a, a weak weak recommend. Yeah. I'm gonna say it's one of the, if not the, it's between this and Thor: The Dark World, of course. Yeah. Between the weakest MCU films, the thing I like about this movie is Tony Stark. I like Robert Downey Jr. in this role. I like how they've tried to change his character. And I like the progression they go through up until literally the last line in the film. That wrecks a lot of it for me because it's just a missed opportunity there. I agree with you. The villain, ill-motivated. They really messed up on the Mandarin. I thought, you know, when we went into this, I thought I could get around that. But reflecting back on it, I I can't. I can't. Just for the simplicity of the fact that they could have done one more video and ignored it. Mm-hmm. And even even you could have still had Killian say, I am the Mandarin, whatever. Yeah. But no, there there is still another figurehead out there somewhere. Yeah, I could have gotten into that a lot more. I think, you know, and it's hard too, in, in retrospect, yeah. With Age of Ultron, do you need this film? Overall, probably not. But is there redeemable qualities in this film? <laughs> like you said about Iron Man 2? Some. Yeah. Some. I'm giving it a weak recommend because I like the Tony Stark stuff. Um, like you said, the CG, like it, we were just raving about Iron Man CG. Yeah. yeah. That was five years before this, four years, whatever it is, mm-hmm. even more, six years or whatever it is. Yeah. And the CG here, yeah, it's lackluster. Yeah. At best. So overall, I say if you've seen it once, don't bother going back and seeing it again. <laughs> but I will give it a weak recommend. If you're get in, getting into the MCU itself, which if you listen to this whole thing, <laughs> you're probably fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'll give it a weak recommend on yeah. this one. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, that was a blast. I'm glad to have been back at the retrospective table going through this. We are going to be coming at you guys again with Black Panther. Now, that's part of the overall MCU retrospective series, but also as an episode of The Nerd Room. That's coming up here in a few weeks. That will be followed up by next month. Also, The Winter Soldier. So, we're going to be just 
we got two great or one I'm anticipating to be a great movie and a movie we know is awesome. Yes. We're going to be reviewing next week and we're going to follow those up with Age of Ultron, Guardians of the Galaxy, and I believe Ant-Man. And I think that's it up until Infinity War. I'll have to go back and check here. But we've got a few movies yet. We've got a few months yet to get through this series. It's an exciting discussion here. I thought it was a lot of good points and I can't wait to get back into it. So, gentlemen, until next month when we are back at the table for the Nerd Room's MCU Retrospective Series, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay, on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sanjabi. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyrim Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.